we are ready for our Talladega 2 NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topic Sound Off here on Fan for Racing Radio. This is Thursday, September the 28th, and uh, joining me for today's show is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. It's a wonderful Thursday afternoon and a big weekend of racing coming up, not just because we're at the biggest track on NASCAR circuit at Talladega, but we got some other racing to talk about here throughout the uh, country as well. That is so true. Okay, just a quick uh, preview of what we're going to be talking about. In our first half hour, we are going to give some short track races um, for the upcoming weekend. We'll let you know who's racing where and how you can watch it. And then afterward, we're going to preview the Arkham Menard Series race that's taking place this weekend at Salem Speedway. This is the penultimate race, I believe. This is uh, the race just before the finale that will take place at Toledo in October. In the next half hour, we are going to review, preview (laughs) the ARCA West race that's taking place out at All-American Speedway in Roseville, California. And then we're going to preview the NASCAR Truck Series race at Talladega Super Speedway. In our third half hour, we're going to update the NASCAR Xfinity Series. They're not racing this weekend, Jay, uh, but they will be back. And then we're going to preview the NASCAR Cup Series race out at Talladega. And then we're going to end the episode, of course, with our Hot Topic Sound Off discussion. And I believe Brian is going to be joining us today for that Hot Topic conversation. And it's about time he finally gets to get on his soapbox today. Yeah, I know we still got one carrying over, and I know uh, we got some other great hot topics. I get the feeling we're going to have to uh, maybe rediscuss some of them, as Mike and Andy, I noticed, couldn't be here today, and I know they got some opinions on some of the things that have happened this week, uh, for sure. Yes, I'm sure they do. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get into our short track uh, races that are coming up this weekend. I know my order was a little bit off this morning. Uh, but hopefully you'll be able to find everything. I think so here. Um, as we start with, I guess, the 28th, uh, you want me to do the 28th for dirt track? Yeah, and then I'll, I'll pull up the 28th for short track. I don't think there is well, any for short the dirt- track. Yeah, I was going to say I didn't see any short track ones. The dirt track one we have for the 28th today is the USAC BC39, which is the dirt track at IMS. And that'll be at 7 p.m., covered on Flow Racing. And I believe that's a preliminary night. Okay. And then why don't you go ahead and do the short tracks for the uh, 29th? That's tomorrow. All right. For the short tracks for the 29th, we got the Napa Auto Parts Championship uh, at Stafford Motor Speedway. That'll be 5.45 p.m. on Flow Racing. And then on Racing America, at a time to be determined, though, will be Oktoberfest Day 1, and that comes from Lee USA Speedway. All right. Um, on Dirt Vision, I'll cover those races first. There's just a couple. Uh, the World of Outlaws Car Series will be racing at Williams Grove Speedway at 6.45 p.m., and then the World of Outlaws Late Models at Atomic Speedway at 545, also on Dirt Vision. 
the next four races I'm going to talk about, a couple to be determined times, but they'll all be on Flow Racing, so you can check for those times there. Uh, we'll start with the uh, 7 o'clock uh, races. Uh, or let's start with the 620 race, the weekly racing from Georgetown Speedway at 6.20 p.m. Then you've got 7 o'clock, the USAC BC39, the dirt track at IMS uh, at 7 p.m. And then the two to be determined are the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series at Raceway 7 and the Fast Fast Track Late Models at Richmond, Kentucky Speedway or Richmond KY Raceway. Uh, to be determined, again, you can check for those times on Flow Racing. Now, I know we've got a lot for dirt on uh, September the 30th, which is Saturday. That's right, Saturday night. Always a big night for uh, dirt racing. I'll start with Dirt Vision, and this one's kind of split up as well, but the World of Outlaw Late Models, again, Atomic Speedway will be at 5.45 p.m., and then at 6.45 p.m., the World Outlaw Sprint Cars from William Grove Speedway. Moving over to Flow Racing, 6 p.m., that'll be the IRA, IRA Sprints from Plymouth Dirt Track. At 7 p.m., the USAC BC39. Again, that's still at the Dirt Track at IMS at 7 p.m. And then at 8 p.m., the NARC Maury Williams Memorial from Keller Auto Speedway all those on Flow Racing. And then they also got three more that have TBD for time. The USAC uh, WC Midgets from Antioch, Antioch Speedway. The Lucas Oil Pittsburgh from Pittsburgh PA's Motor Speedway. And the Fast Track Late Models from Richmond, Kentucky Raceway. Uh, those you have to check out and see what times they get up for those. All right. For short tracks on September 30th, there's uh, quite a list here. Uh, let's see. I'm not sure if I can get these in time order. I think I can. Okay. At 1 o'clock over at Flow Racing, you have the 61st Vermont Milk Bowl at Thunder Road International Speed Bowl. Then there's the NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour at North Wilkesboro Speedway at 7 p.m. Sorry, I'm out of order already. Uh, then you've got at 5 o'clock the NASCAR's Championship Night at Riverhead Speedway. At 7 p.m., the NASCAR Weekly Racing at All-American Speedway. We'll talk about another race that's taking place this weekend at All-American. And then NASCAR Championship Night number one at Langley Speedway, also at 7 p.m. All of those are flow racing. Uh, then at Racing America... Uh, these are all to be determined times, so you have to go to Racing America to check out the times. Uh, but first up is the full, full throttle 125 at Citrus County Speedway, and I believe that's the one that uh, our guest from Monday night, Dr. Patrick Starapoli, will be driving in. So I'm kind of anxious to see how that uh, finishes out. And then you've got the Show Me the Money Pro Late Model Series at Montgomery Motor Speedway and the October Fest Day 2 at Lee USA Speedway, the Ford Triathlon at Anderson Speedway, and the season finale 
Oh, boy. Uh, Whiskaset, Speedway, all of those are on Racing America. And like I say, you have to check for times on each one of those. And then October 1st, we've got some racing day. We do. I think there's, whoops, October 1st. Uh, for the short tracks, you got the 61st of Vermont Milk Bowl. That'll be at Thunder Road International Speedway, covered at 1 p.m. on Flow Racing. To be determined time will be the Smart Modified Tour from Motor Mile Speedway. And then Oktoberfest, day three from Lee USA Speedway. That'll also be to be determined. That one will be on Racing America. Okay, so uh, that's a lot of racing. Uh, I want to go to... Uh, We've been talking about the the upcoming race for the SRL series, the 35th October Classic that's going to be taking place out of Kern County Raceway Park. Uh, That's going to be Sunday, October 15th, Uh, and I know a lot of people are looking at that, but there is some sad news for us to report uh, from the SRL front as well. Wayne Spears, uh, you know, for years this has been known as the Spears Southwest Tour uh, SRL Southwest Tour, and uh, Wayne Spears has passed away. He was a great man in so many respects, and we will forever have tremendous gratitude for his mentoring, friendship, and far-reaching positive impact on sport, short track racing. We have lost a true American original. Our deepest condolences to Connie, the Spears family, and those who work closely with Wayne at Spears Manufacturing. Um, again, it's uh, a sad day for the SRL series uh, with the passing of Wayne Spears. And uh, we send our condolences and uh, sympathies uh, and appreciate the statement here on the SRL site. You know, I hadn't really thought about it. I was, I was familiar with him as far as a, a truck owner going back to the uh, white and blue 75. I saw a couple of drivers that were, were honoring him and making some posts, but the, the connection to the uh, SRL series as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, uh, uh, again, you know, we send our condolences and uh, we'll kind of move on here, but uh, it, it really is a big, big um, thing that he did by sponsoring uh, the SRL Southwest Touring Series for many, many years. And uh, all these race car drivers uh, appreciate it as well, especially on the West Coast. They're so far away from the, the world center of racing when you think about Charlotte Motors at Charlotte. Um, which is the queen city of, of NASCAR racing. Um, and so these guys, this is the race, this is their big deal. It's like their ARCA series that we had in the Midwest. Uh, this is what they're doing uh, on the West. Well, and that's what I think one of the ones that I saw that, that the connection that brought it to mind was Kevin Harvick. Uh, you mentioned being from the, mm-hmm. the West coast and bringing some of these drivers initially, especially back then when Kevin Harvick came in, was the beginning of NASCAR expanding beyond the Southeast. So uh, a huge impact on racing, like you said, across the board. It it definitely is. It definitely is. 
So we wanted to make sure uh, we mentioned that to everybody. Uh, we are going to go ahead and move on now to our Arkham and Art series. Um, but uh, we'll come back to Roseville, California, uh, for the Arca West uh, preview after that. So uh, let's go ahead and get started with uh, our Arca Menard series. Uh, they are racing at Salem Speedway in Salem, Indiana, the Atlas 200, this Saturday, September the 30th, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That race is going to be televised on Fox Sports 2 at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. They'll be racing 111 miles over 200 laps. When I think you're ready to hit, hit on this, but the Atlas 200 will be the 19th of the 20 races for the Arkham Menard Series in 2023. It'll also be the 109th race for the Arkham Menard Series at Salem Speedway, which is the most of any track in series history. That's pretty cool. Sammy Smith won the most recent Arkham Menards race at Salem Speedway. Smith led all 200 laps and beat current Arkham Menards Series championship leader Jesse Love, who won at Salem in 21 by 2.726 seconds. And Jack Harrison won the first Arkham Menards Series race at Salem uh, Speedway, and that goes back to October of 1955. Okay, this is going to be a long one, Jay. Uh, <laughs> I might need your help uh, somewhere in the middle here, and then I can wrap right. it up. Okay, previous Arkham and Art Series winners at Salem Speedway, in addition to Harrison, who won not only in 1955, uh, but he had two wins in 1956. Herschel White also won in 56. Former Indianapolis 500 winner Troy Rutman in 1956. In 1957, it was Nelson Stacy, and in 59, it was Don White. Bobby Watson won in 1962 and 73. Dick Freeman in 62. Earl Balmer in 63. Also in 63 was Jim Cushman. Jack Bowser won in 63 and 64. It was uh, three and sixty-four and two and sixty-five. Butch Hartman in nineteen sixty-six. Uh, Andy Hampton in sixty-six and sixty-nine. Les Snow in sixty-six, sixty-seven, and sixty-nine. Then it was Elmer Davis in sixty-seven. Benny Parsons, that's a familiar name for NASCAR fans. He had two wins in sixty-eight. Way Waltron in sixty-eight. Uh, Okay, and I'll let you kind of do the 70s there, Jay. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got, the, let's see, you left off with. Uh, Ramos Stott is where you start. Yeah. Uh, Ramos Stott. Uh, Ramos, Ramos Stott in 1969 Bruce Gold uh, picked ones up in 73, 74, and 75. Dave Dayton got one in 73, 74, and 75 as well. Bobby Allison with the win in 1975. And A. Arnold as w in 76. Lamar Marshall, another one in 1976. Then in 77, you got Moose Myers and Brad Malcutt. Marvin Smith picked up the victory in 1979. 
I'm going to go through these quick 80s ones as well. Yeah, do go through the 90s. I'll pick up at 2000. All right, through the 90s. Uh, going into the 1980s, you got Bob Keselowski in 1986, another name we know. Larry Moore in 1988. Then Bob Bravick in 88 as well. Bob Schott in 1989. As we get into the 90s, Bob Strait in 1992 and 93. Scott Neal in 1994. Big name Tim Steele in 95, 96, and then two in 97. Toby Butler in 1996. And then as we lead uh, into the 2000s, <laughs> yeah, another, you're right, another big ARCA name, Frank Kimmel, had two in 98, 2000, and then two in 2001, two in 2002, four, and eight. And then wow, Bill Baird in 19... Yeah, uh, like I said, it's Frank Kimmel is the ARCA Menard series to, to some. Uh, Bill Baird in 1999, and then Ken Schrader in 99 and 2015, and then I think we're all into the 2000s. Okay, we'll move on to Tracy Leslie in 2000. Shelby Howard had two in 2003. Jason Jarrett in 2004. Chad Blount in 05. Then also in 05 was Joey Miller. Billy Venturini in 2006. Blake Borkland in 2006, Brian Keselowski in 2007. Now we're going to get into some names that you guys are really going to find familiar. Justin Algauer in 2007 and 8, Patrick Sheltra in 2009, Justin Lofton in, also in 2009, Steve Arpin and Dakota Armstrong both had wins in 2010. Then it was uh, Brennan Poole and Chris Busher in 2011. In 2012, it was Alex Bowman. Uh, Tom Hesseth III had wins in 2012, 13, and 14. Kyle Benjamin in 2013. Grant Infinger in 14 and 15. Christopher Bell had two in 2016, Dalton Sargent in 17, Austin Terrio now running for Congress, uh, and we'll talk about that later, in 2017, Christian Eckes in 2018, Chandler Smith also in 18, uh, let's see here, then it was Michael Self in 2019 along with Ty Gibbs. And Jesse Love in 2021 and Sammy Smith in 2022. That's a lot of winners at Salem Speedway. But as we said earlier, uh, one of the tracks that's had the most Arkham Menard Series races. You know, and with that, I was looking back on when I really became a fan. Some of the names uh, familiar, brought back some memories, and then seeing where some of these guys have come from. I, I just I love those sections we get to cover the history. Yes. Now, the banking at Salem Speedway is 33 degrees in the corner. That's tied with the banking of Talladega Super Speedway for the steepest of any track on the Arkham Menard Series schedule. Jesse Love enters the Atlas 200 with a 131-point lead in the Arkham Menard Series standings, and that's over second-place driver Andre Perez de Lara. If Love has a 99-point lead after the Atlas 200, he will have clinched the 2023 Arkham Menard Series Championship. 
Now, seven drivers have won the Arkham and Ard Series races in 2023. We'll do a 2023 history here, including Greg Van Alst going back to Daytona, Tyler Reif at Phoenix, Jesse Love. This one's got a list of his own. Talladega, Kansas, yep. Charlotte, Elko, Pocono, Michigan, IRP, Watkins Glen, and DeCoin. William Solich uh, picked up wins at Berlin, Milwaukee, and Bristol. Then Tyler Ankrum at Mid-Ohio, Luke Fenhouse at Iowa, Brent Cruz at Springfield, and Connor Mozak at Kansas. Yeah, Jesse Love has had a phenomenal season. Nine wins on record so far for the season. Uh, Love leads the drivers who have started every race in an average finish of 4.33. William Sawalich who has only started 11 of the 18 races, has an average uh, finish at 3.64. That's kind of interesting. But we know that William Kowalich won the ARCA East Championship. It is, and that tells you why the uh, points lead that Love has, a 4.3 average on the year for 18 races is unbelievable. Now, Love has led at least one lap in 15 of the season's 18 races. He's led a total of 1,034 laps. Sawalich is second with 439 laps led in seven of his races. Okay. Christian Rose leads all drivers with 2,151 laps completed. Of the total 224 possible competition laps this year, that's a 96.72 completion percentage. So congratulations, Christian Rose, for that. He knows how to take care of his equipment. He has a beautiful car. We hate to see that one get wrecked. That's true. Now, the track record uh, (laughs) for most cautions, as you talk about not wrecking cars, but the track record for the most cautions is 13. That was set in 1998 and matched both races in 2004, 5, and 6. The record for the most cautions laps is 109. That was set in a 500-lap race back in 1989. The record for the fewest cautions, though, is 1, and that should be 2014, while the fewest (laughs) laps under caution of 5 was set in 2022. Now, Chandler Smith holds the track qualifying record. That was set in 2018. He had a lap of 16.844 seconds, uh, meaning he was traveling at 118.618 miles per hour on average. Tom Hester III holds the 200-lap race record at 95.736 miles per hour. And this one should or could come into play for sure this weekend with that steep of banking on the on the racetrack. But should the race need to be extended into overtime, there'll be an unlimited attempt at a green-white checkered finish. Should the caution flag be displayed after the white flag, though, there'll be an unlimited attempt at a one-lap green and white together finish. Okay. Uh, we do have an entry list here for the Arkham Menard Series at Salem. Uh, and we can go bottom up here. Uh, are you what, looking at this on your phone or a computer, Jay? 
Well, I was going to try, and I got it pulled up both. I know you sent the pronunciation key on my phone, but I'm going to try and pull it up on the uh, my computer as well. Oh, okay, because you'll be able to read it all the way across then. Uh, I'll go ahead and get started. In the number six is Kevin Hinkle from Shawnee, Kansas. Um, let's make sure I get the right one here. Yeah, this is for Salem. Uh, he'll be driving the KH Automotive Toyota for Wayne Peterson, and Nate Moeller is his crew chief. Then the zero three, that'll be Alex Club with Club Racing Incorporated Ford. Comes out of Morris, Illinois, and he'll have Brian Club as his crew chief. In the number five this week is uh, Connor Popowell from Jefferson, Indiana. He'll be driving the Sunset Park RV Manufacturing Toyota for Mark Noble, and he'll have, oh boy, Tony Pankoskis as his crew chief. And then we got the number 69. That'll be Will Kimmel out of Clarksville, Indiana, yeah. driving the Kimmel, Kimmel uh, Ford. Bill Kimmel going to be handling the crew chief duties for the Down Syndrome of Middle Tennessee in Weddington Homes. Okay. Uh, okay. I didn't see that on mine, but I guess you you can. Okay, and the number 68 is going to be Mike Basham. He'll be, he hails from Henryville, Indiana, and he'll be in the Kimmel Racing Ford with Tony Heverin on his uh, pit box. And you got Mike Shroof calling the shots for the number 66 Fort Worth, Fort Worth screen printing Chevrolet. It's a Hillenburg-listed machine. John Garrett comes out of Athens, Texas. And then Brad Smith from Shelby Township, Michigan, will be be behind his familiar number 48, Capriya.com Chevrolet, for his race team. He'll have Jeff Smith on top of his pit box. You mentioned the good-looking car of the 32 of Christian Rose. That's because it's the West Virginia Department of Tourism on the side of that Ford of Kevin Sawinski owned. And he comes from Martin's Big Martinsburg, West Virginia, with Ryan London as well as his crew chief. Okay. Tim Goulet will be on top of the Goulet uh, number 31 this week. Brayton Lester will be driving. He hails from Greenwood, Indiana, and have, he'll have Rise Motorsports on the side of his Chevrolet. The RJR number 30 is one of those uh, top in the points anyway. Still battling, I think, for third is Frankie Munoz out of Scottsdale, Arizona, in the Mark Rett-owned and crew chief Ford. Manyan Raman will be on top of the pit box for Brent Cruz. He's behind the number 25 for Venturini Motorsports this weekend. He hails from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and he'll be driving the Yahoo Mobile One Toyota. The number 20 Venturini um, Motorsports machine is the one we've been talking about controlling the season. Jesse Love out of Redwood City, California, has his usual JBL sponsor, as well as Shannon Roche as his crew chief. Matt Ross will be on top of the pit box for the Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota number 18. And William Sawalich will be behind the wheel. He hails from Eden Prairie, Minnesota. And Starkey Soundgear will be on the side of his machine. 
We've been talking about tying in the West Coast out of Hillsboro, California, comes Tony Bridinger in the number 15 Venturini Toyota, Caden Lapovich as the crew chief, and bringing a good sponsor there, Victoria's Secrets and Raising Canes. <laughs> okay. Dick Delhaney is going to be on top of the pit box for the Hillenburg Ford, number 12, driven by Ed Pompa. He hails from Boston Spa, New York, and he'll have the high torque of New York Double H Ranch on the side of his Ford. Number 11, Hillenburg Toyota brings a driver. you got to be a driver if you're from Speedway, Indiana, I guess. Zachary Tinkle, <laughs> uh, along with crew chief Todd Parrott, and they bring the sponsorship Racing for Rescues as well as FastTrackRacing.com. Okay, Dallas Drew's on top of the other Andy Hillenburg Ford, uh, and that's driven by Tim Monroe from Illinois, Elmwood, Illinois. The number 10 will have fast track racing on the side of its Ford. Number two on the car, number two in points, Andres Perez de Lara comes out of Mexico City, Mexico. You got the Max Siegel Incorporated, as that the Max Siegel owned Chevrolet. And Jamie Jones calling the shots for that rev racing. Wayne Peterson on top of the pit box for the number zero Toyota for his team. Uh, behind the wheel is Nate Moeller from Lafayette, Ohio, uh, and he'll have Peterson Motorsports on the side of his car. I think he's pulling double duty because Nate is also the crew chief for Kevin Hinkle. So uh, it'll be a big day for uh, for that fellow. I just love to see that when you see some of these Arkham and Ard series teams uh, working together like that. Uh, again, low budget, but they're just out there because they love to race. Absolutely. All right, we're going to move on now to the Arkham and Ard series West. They're going to be racing the Napa Auto Parts 150 out of All All American Speedway in Roseville, California. That's this Saturday, September the 30th. At 10.45 p.m. Eastern, but it's only going to be 7.45 p.m. Pacific time. It will be available for live streaming at low racing. They'll drive 50 miles over 150 laps. Well, the Arkham Menard Series West, not quite as deep into their season as the Napa Auto Parts 150 at All-American Speedway is set to be the ninth of their 12 races for the 2023 season. Sean Hingarani enters the Napa Auto Parts 150 with a one-point lead. I'll repeat that. He has just a one-point lead over Landon Lewis in the Arkham and Art Series West Championship standings. Trevor Huddleston is third. He's just 24 points out of the lead. So it's a close one in the West. Certainly coming down to it with those three races to go. Now, Cole Moore, a name you might remember from the West Series, driving for the All-American Speedway promoter and multi-time Arkham Nard Series West owner, champion Bill McAnally, who won the 2022 West Series race at All-American Speedway. Getting back to Sean Hingarani, he heads into the race this weekend looking for a series-leading fifth win of the season. He scored wins at Irwindale Speedway in March, 
Kern County Raceway Park in April. He won again at Shasta Speedway in July, and he won the most recent Arkham Menard Series West race that was held at Evergreen Speedway in August. Going back up to Lewis, who's in that points battle, he won earlier in the season at Portland International Raceway and, again, sits second in the series championship standings but is not entered at All-American Speedway. Huh. Oh, that's that's disappointing. <laughs> I was hoping we'd see him on the track, but we'll we'll keep an eye on it. Okay, veteran Todd Souza has made eight career starts at All-American Speedway, and he has a career-high five top five finishes at the three-mile oval. He finished, third. I think that's a one-third mile oval. He finished uh, fourth three times, including the last two years, and finished second behind Gio Scalzi in 2020. Now, Souza will again drive a second entry for the Central Coast Racing Team, while Phoenix winner Tyler Reif drives the team's flagship number 13 entry. We've got Bradley Erickson. He's going to move to the number 23 Chevrolet owned by West Coast racer T.J. Clark, and he'll serve as the combination's crew chief. Well, Joey it's, it's, East. it's actually owned by Joe Fari. Oh, I'm Fare. sorry, you're right. Uh, the car's, there we go, car's owned by uh, Joe Fari. Uh, longtime West Coast racer T.J. Clark is going to serve as the new combination's crew chief. There we go. Thank you. Uh, Joey East, who has won one career West victory at Colorado National Speedway in 2021, is going to return to the Mike Knocke-owned number 88 Ford that Erickson has departed. Okay. Now, former winners at American All-American Speedway include Sumner McKnight, who won in 77, Jimmy Asolo in 78, Tim Williamson in 79, Jim Robinson in 81, Jim Brown in 82, Eric Holmes, he's a big name on the West Coast, in 2008, 9, 10, and 11. Jason Bowles won there in 2009. Polly Haraka in 2009 and 10. Jason Fensler in 2011. Dylan Kwasniewski in 2012. Cameron Haley in 2013. Christian Pahad in 2014. Grayson Raz in 15, Ryan Partridge won there in 16, Michael Self in 17, Cole Rouse in 18, Jagger Jones in 2019, Gio Scalzi again in 2020, P.J. Petroncelli won there in 2021, Cole Moore in 22. Some familiar names on that list as well, Jay. Again, the memories, man, the memories. I know. Michael Self, Michael Self holds the track qualifying record at All-American Speedway, set it back in 2017 at 13.412 seconds, and that equates to 89.383 miles per hour. Self also holds the 150-lap race record set in 2017 as well at 42 minutes, 37 seconds, which equals 70.325 miles per hour for the event. Now, the record for the most lead changes in the 150-lap race at All-American Speedway is 17. That was set in 2015, and the race was won by Grayson Raz. 
in record for the most cautions in the 150-lap Arkham Menard Series West Race at All-American. That's 11. It was set in 2021. Record for the most laps under caution is 76. That goes back to 2008. The fewest cautions, though, is one. That happened twice in 1977 and 1981. And the fewest laps under caution is seven going back to 1978. All right. Now, should the race need to be extended at all into overtime, there will be unlimited attempts at a two-lap green-white checkered finish. Now, should the caution flag be displayed after the white flag is displayed, there will be unlimited attempts at a one-lap green and white together finish. So, again, it's a little bit different in the Arkham Menard series, so we always uh, kind of reiterate that uh, for each Arca race. Now we'll move to the entry list. You want to start there from the bottom up? I'm still appalled that uh, Landon Lewis is not on this list. That uh, I know. that slipped by, slipped by me, I guess, when I looked at the entry list, but not sure what the deal is there. But yes, I will start yeah, here with the Yeah, considering that he's so close in the points, it's it's a shame he's not going to be there. It is indeed. Um, the ones that are on the entry list, though, I'll start with the zero five. That'll be David Smith out of Sydney. British Columbia for his self-owned Toyota team. Brandon Carlson is going to be his crew chief for the Shockwave Marine Suspension Seating. Okay. Uh, Joe East is going to be behind the wheel of that number 88. Uh, he is from Madera, California. He'll have Basilla Farms on the side of his Ford. And Mike Naki, the owner, will be on top of his crew chief, uh, his um, pit box. We're going to see a lot of California drivers as Jalen Mack comes from Chino Hills, California, in the number 83 Alicia Mack Toyota. Don't have a crew chief announced there for the Coast Auto Care and Tire Napa Service Center's machine. Okay. Dave Jackson is going to be on top of the pit box for the number 71 driven by Nick Joannidis. From Northridge, California, he'll have Dan's towing on the side of his Ford. The Steve Bonham uh, number 70 Ford comes from, well, the driver comes from Las Vegas, Nevada, Kyle Keller. He's going to be sponsored by Argus Construction and Star Nursery, Battleborn. going to have Brian Kaiser helping him out. Travis Thurkettle will be on top of the uh, pit box for uh, the Tim Huddleston Ford, that Ford will be driven by Jake Bowman, the number 55, and he hails from Huntington Beach, California. He'll be driving the High Point Racing Race Car Factory as his sponsor. Well, the number 50 uh, line reads about the same. It's also a Tim Huddleston-owned Ford with High Point Racing and Race Car Factory. But this one's driven by Trevor Huddleston out of Agora Hills, California, and Jeff Schrader, the one calling the shots. Okay. Uh, now, in the Jackwood Chevrolet this weekend is R.J. Smotherman, the number 38. Uh, R.J. comes from Perump, Nevada. He'll have Wolfstein Construction on the side of his Chevrolet, and Robert Smotherman will be on top of his pit box. When we talked about the change here for the number 23, Joe Fari Chevrolet, 
It's going to be Bradley Erickson in the driver's seat, TJ Clark in the crew chief box with LS, LNS framing an SPS on the side of the car. And Erickson comes from Phoenix, Arizona. From Rupan, California, is Ethan Nascimento. He'll be driving the number 21 Toyota uh, for their race team. And uh, he'll have Nascimento Joiner Motorsports and Impact Transportation on the side of his car. Mike Nascimento will be on top of the pit box. And coming just down uh, from north there, out of La Center, Washington, is Eric Johnson, Jr., He'll be in that number 19 Napa BMR Chevrolet, owned again by Bill McAnally and Chuck Jones as the crew chief. Okay, we don't have a driver in the number 17 at this point. Uh, It will have MMI on the side of the Chevrolet for Steve McGowan, and Sean Samuels is listed as the crew chief here. Maybe that's Landon Castle's car, or not Landon Castle, Landon Lewis. All right, the one I got off of the uh, ARCA page shows Caden Honeycutt out of Willow Park, Texas uh, in that machine. Oh, okay. Okay, thank you. And then on the 16, that's another uh, Bill McAnally Napa BMR Chevrolet. This one's going to be driven by Tanner Reif from Henderson, Nevada, and John Camarelli as the crew chief. Kevin Reed Jr. on top of the pit box for Venturini Motorsports. The number 15 will be driven by Sean Hingarani from Newport Beach, California. He'll have Mobile One on the side of his Venturini Toyota. And we got another Rife out of Henderson, Nevada, and this one's Tyler Rife. It's going to be in the number 13 Ford for Kelly Souza. Michael Munoz calling the shots for that Central Coast Cabinet ride. And Takuma Koga, all the way from Nagoya, Hitchi, Japan, is driving the number seven laundry Toyota for Jerry Pitts, and Denny Moyer is on top of his pit box. Speaking of Jerry Pitts, he's got another car on the track, and he's going to crew chief the number five Toyota for Buddy Shepard out of Bakersfield, California, bringing along uh, recognition for H&S Body Shop. Okay, another Nascimento vehicle uh, being driven this week. Uh, Eric Nascimento is in the behind the wheel of the number four, again from Rapon, California. He'll also have Nascimento Joiner Motorsports Impact Transportation on the side of his Chevrolet, and Ty Joiner is going to be his crew chief. And Kelly Souza listed as the owner of another Ford machine. That's the number three, going to be driven by Todd Souza out of Romas, California. Jason Dickerson going to be the one heading that team. And Charlie Wilson will be on top of the pit box for the Robbie Keneally uh, number one. Hail from Madera, California, and will have Cover E's American Swim Academy on the side of their car. Well, I wish, uh, I know I can't think of his name now. He's working for MRN. We used to have a contact out there when it came to the Arkham Menard Series West because the Landon Lewis story is kind of intriguing to me. 
Well, I think I think I remember this now. Landon Lewis was let go from his uh, vehicle that he had been driving all season long, and we're waiting to find out where he lands. Uh, so I hope uh, that something works out. And I don't know if it was let go or if he left, uh, but I know that he's no longer driving the car that he was racing in earlier this season. And... Uh, uh, hopefully he'll get another ride uh, before the season is over. It would be a shame because he's so close in the series point standings. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. And I do vaguely remember something about that now that you mention it. Um, and it's really bugging me. Who is the one that wrote for the Arkham and Ard series uh, that came from the West Coast? I know he's working as a producer on, a, on the MRN shows now. I met, I got to meet him through you at Chicagoland. It's somebody that I know? <laughs> yeah, he was right, because he did. Oh, you're talking uh, about um, Blount? Rob Blount, I think, is at Faux Racing. It's not Rob. No. I'll have, to, I'll have to bring it up later. It's not coming to me, and I can hear him, because I know the producer, they talk to the producers during those shows. I want to say David. Um It'll oh, come Dave, to me. We'll move um, on and Siegel, Davy Siegel. There we go. Thank you. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, I remember Davy. <laughs> He's been on the show before. That's why I said I know I got introduced to him, and uh, again, big shout out because yeah, he's I don't remember which show he's doing the producing for, but he works with MRN now. Oh, okay, that's good to know because I know he was on Sirius XM uh, there for a while too. So maybe it's a combination thing there, um, but uh, definitely uh, he's a he's a good uh, media person, and uh, I always like what he does. All right, we're going to move over to the uh, NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. They're going to be racing the Love's RV Stop 250 at Talladega Super Speedway this Saturday. A lot of racing on Saturday. September the 30th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1, starting with pre-race coverage at 12 noon Eastern Time. And coverage will be available on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Channel 90. They'll be covering a distance of 250.04 miles over 94 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 20, stage 2 on lap 40. And the last stage is another 54 laps, and we'll end on lap 94. Well, and we'll touch on a couple of news items here real quick, which I know are going to come up during Hot Topics today, next week, yep. whenever we got to cover them again. But starting <laughs> with this weekend, Chandler Smith is going to drive the number 25 Rackley War Chevrolet at Talladega. After following Bristol, Rackley War after following Bristol, Rackley War announced that a new driver will get behind the wheel of the number 25 Rackley War Chevrolet for the remainder three races of the season. Uh, Chandler Smith currently is racing for a championship in Sunoco Rookie of the Year honors in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. He'll make his first Craftsman Truck Series start of the season this weekend. Now, he's got 61 career Craftsman Truck Series starts. The 20-year-old has boasted five wins, 23 top fives, and 24 top ten finishes. And Smith made the playoffs during both of his full-time seasons 
and finished a career-best third in the championship standings in 2022. Arakley Wars number 25 Chevrolet is the defending winner at Talladega as Matt DiBenedetto snagged the victory with an overtime attempt when an overtime attempt ended the race under caution. Now, the team's in its third year as a full-time Craftsman Truck Series team made history this season, becoming the first Tennessee-based Craftsman Truck Series to make a run for the playoffs. Now, the team was eliminated, though, from the round of 10 at Kansas Speedway. So, some interesting things there. I know we're going to talk about Yes, another big story that we're going to be talking about on Hot Topics. Uh, Spire Motorsports acquires Kyle Busch Motorsports and Rowdy Manufacturing. Kyle Busch, the winningest driver in the Craftsman Truck Series history and owner of Kyle Busch Motorsports, announced this week that he has sold, uh, also known as KBM, and Rowdy Manufacturing to Spire Motorsports. Included in the sale of the assets of Busch's Craftsman, uh, NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series team and the assets of Rowdy Manufacturing, chassis building operation, and CNC machine shop, along with the 77,000 square foot facility that houses both operations. KBM holds the Truck Series records for the most career wins at 100 and the most wins in a single season of 14 in 2014. In addition to having produced two championship-winning drivers, Eric Jones in 15 and Christopher Bell in 17, the organization has collected a series record of seven owners' championships. So that was pretty big news. I think uh, I, I don't know that any of us were expecting that. Uh, no, and I think we could do a whole show probably just on that topic alone, but uh, I know we'll cover it here <laughs> in about 40 minutes. But right now, when we talk about the truck series at Talladega, we've got to look at that playoff bubble. As we got Smith, Rhodes, Sanchez, and Majeski outside the championship four cut line. So following the round of eight opener at Bristol Motor Speedway, Corey Heim was the first to punch his ticket to the championship four round at Phoenix Raceway. Now with just two races left in this round of eight, the competitors are starting to feel the heat. As Talladega looms closer, those drivers sitting below that cut line, Zane Smith, Ben Rhodes, Nick Sanchez, and Ty Majeski. Uh, driver of the number 38 front row motorsport Chevrolet, Zane Smith, has gone on to the title round the last three years. Last season, the reigning Craftsman Truck Series champion advanced to the championship round of four by scoring two runner-up finishes in this round of eight, in addition to then a 17th place finish at Talladega Super Speedway. Smith has experienced both the highs and lows this postseason, finished fifth at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park, 12th at the Milwaukee Mile, fifth at Kansas Speedway, but then 24th at Bristol Motor Speedway two weeks ago. Now, although the 24-year-old has previous experience managing these playoff rounds, the looming uncertainty of super speedway racing certainly doesn't add much comfort. I'll go to Majeski and Ben Rhodes. Ty Majeski completely dominated the round of eight last season, winning both Bristol and Homestead. 
He bested uh, Zane Smith both times. The Seymour Wisconsin native is currently 22 points back from the final transfer spot that uh, Grant Infinger holds. Although the deficit is significant, Majeski and the 98th Tour Sport Racing Team will need to maximize the next six stages. The 29-year-old burst into the uh, playoffs with momentum after he led 168 laps at Richmond in the regular season finale before finishing second. Majeski completely dominated the field at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park, taking the checkered flag after leading 179 of 200 laps. But following Indianapolis, the 98 team has lost some steam. They finished 7th at Milwaukee and 18th at Kansas with a 19th place finish at Bristol. Then we got Sunoco Rookie of the Year candidate Nick Sanchez. He's also sitting 22 points back from that final transfer position. Now, although the rookie will be making his Talladega debut in the NASCAR Craftsman Chuck Series, Sanchez won the Super Speedway race in the Arkham Menard Series last year and finished third in 2021. Like the two competitors previously, the driver of the number two Rev Racing Chevrolet has seen some of the lows that the postseason has to offer. He finished 11th at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park, and 24th at Milwaukee, 8th at Kansas, and then 9th at Bristol. The 22-year-old heads to Talladega, still aiming for his first victory of his Craftsman Truck Series career. It's coming, Nick. It's coming. Okay, Ben Rhodes scraped his way into the round of eight by five points. The 21 Truck Series champion heads to Talladega, ranked sixth in the playoff standings. He's back 16 points from the fourth and final spot in the championship round. In seven starts at Talladega, the Louisville, Kentucky native has an average finish of 13.4. Last year, the driver of the 99 Thor Sport Racing Ford managed a second-place finish at the Super Speedway. Unfortunately for the 26-year-old, the playoffs haven't been off to his best start. He finished 16th at Lucas Oil, Indianapolis Raceway Park, 16th at Milwaukee, and 25th at Kansas, 7th at Bristol. Like his competitors, his previous experience in the playoff rounds doesn't add much comfort heading into Talladega. Well, and that's the point of Talladega. No matter what your experience or uh, results, uh, there's still no comfort level. We're going to look at the contenders' career performances here. Uh, Corey Heim, good news. He's already locked in, so doesn't have to worry about it. He's only got one race, and it's a DNF for an average finish of 26.0. Christian Eckes has two races in, one of them being a top five, obviously then a top ten, but also one DNF. Average finish, 11.5. Carson Hosevar, two races in, one of them being a DNF. Average finish is 26.5. Grant Enfinger's got the most experience with nine races. He does have one win, two top fives, three top tens, but also two DNFs. The average finish, 14.6. On the bottom half of the group, Zane Smith with three starts, two DNFs, a 27.7 uh, average finish. Uh, Ben Rhodes, another one with a little more experience, seven starts, one pull, two top fives and two top tens, but still has the two DNFs, 
Average finish, 13.4. And then Nick Sanchez mentioned making his first start. Uh, has no stats. And Ty Majeski with a one start. Average finish, 23.0. Okay, next we're going to take a look at the playoff clinch scenarios. Uh, three spots are left in the championship round of four. Uh, Corey Heim has clinched his place into the playoffs uh, and the final four with his win. Uh, the uh, these other two drivers can clinch, uh, but with some help, if there is a repeat winner or a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round. These drivers can clinch by being 56 points above the third winless driver in the standings, and the same holds true if a new win comes from among Christian Eckes or Carson Hosovar, and those happen to be the two drivers we're referring to here. Uh, so that's what they're going to need. Christian Eckes uh, can clinch if there's a new winner from Grant Infinger or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance to the next round uh, by being 56 points above the second winless drivers in the standings. But he's still going to need some help. And, of course, all of them, uh, all these drivers can clinch with a win. That's Christian Eckes, Carson Hosefar, Grant Infinger, Zane Smith, Ben Rhodes, Nick Sanchez, and Chai Majewski. All right, scrolling up again, everybody wants a piece of Dega. There's 40 entries for only 36 spots. Uh, several drivers, uh, Xfinity drivers, are going to be looking to dip their toes, though, in Talladega and be a part of this. Parker Kligerman will be piloting the number 75 Henderson Motorsports Chevrolet. Front Row Motorsports is going to be fielding a second truck uh, for to join champion the 2022 champion, Zane Smith, as they'll have Brett Moffitt in a truck as well. That'll be the number 34 front row motorsports. And then Tricon Garage owner David Gillen is going to get behind the number one Tricon Garage Toyota this weekend. And Jennifer Jo Cobb, as she's making a start in the number 10 Jennifer Jo Cobb Chevrolet. So, Again, we got the playoff outlook. We talked about the, the eight contending drivers, but also it's a mixture of some other drivers this weekend for Talladega. Okay. Uh, the competitors will kick off their fifth playoff weekend with the qualifying at 9.30 a.m. ET on Saturday, September the 30th, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. Uh, let's see. Trying to see if there's anything else that we need to. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to the Xfinity Series. Okay, the Xfinity Series uh, has the week off, so we're just going to give you a few updates here and focus more on the Cup Series. Uh, they will be driving the Drive for Cure 250 presented by Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina at the Charlotte Motor Speedway Roval next Saturday, October the 7th, at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll give you all the details when we preview next week. Uh, but let's hit some of the um, updates that we can tell people about. Okay. Well, we got one from Hendrick Motorsports. As they've tapped into two different drivers to the Xfinity Series lineup. As they've added two drivers to close out the uh, Xfinity Series season. And those include Boris Said, 
and Raja Caruth. Now, Seth will return to the Xfinity Series for the first time since 2021 season uh, next weekend at the Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course. Uh, he'll be behind the wheel of the number 17 Chevrolet. The 61-year-old has made 149 NASCAR National Series starts, 29 of which have been in the Xfinity Series. In those starts, he's posted one win coming in Montreal back in 2010, seven top fives and nine top tens. And then on the other side, a younger driver, Caruth, he's currently competing full-time in the NASCAR Craftsman Chuck Series. He'll be getting his shot in the number 17 Chevrolet at the championship race come Phoenix Raceway. And he's made 15 starts already in the Xfinity Series between 2022 and 23 seasons. And he'll po- he's posted a best finish of 12th last season at Martinsville. Okay. Sammy Smith, who is currently second in the uh, Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings in the Xfinity Series, he's just 13 points behind Chandler Smith, uh, who holds the lead. And right now he's driving the number 18 for Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing. But he's going to be joining Junior Motorsports next season uh, behind the wheel of the number 8 Chevrolet that's currently driven by Josh Berry. So Berry, uh, we know, is moving up to that number 4 Stuart Haas Racing Ford next year. So uh, another uh, change that we may be talking about later. Uh, Yeah, I think we're going to talk about it later today and again maybe next week as that one's a big one to come down the pipeline today. Putting it all on the line at Charlotte, the NASCAR Xfinity Series drivers have one more shot to keep their playoff run going, and that'll come at the Charlotte Motor Speedway Roval before heading to the the next round of playoffs, which will start at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Quick look at the uh, round of 12 contenders for 2023 and how they've performed at the Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course. Let's, let's Hunter, save that for next week, Jay. Okay. Let's just Being list that, okay. off who the contenders are. All right. Well, you got John Hunter Nemechek, Justin Algar, Cole Custer, Austin Hill, Chandler Smith, uh, Sammy Smith, Sheldon Creed, Daniel Hemrick, Parker Kligerman, Jeb Burton, and then JRM teammates Josh Berry and Sam Mayer. Okay. And I'm going to skip the clinch scenarios because what I'm just going to tell you is that there's five stops, five spots that still are open, and those drivers are going to be competing uh, for those five spots. Uh, I also want to hit on that John Hunter Nemechek uh, has seven wins already this season at Auto Club, Martinsville, Atlanta, New Hampshire, Michigan, Kansas, and last week at Texas. So uh, he uh, is looking forward to that Roval for sure. Um, and then there's some milestones. We'll hit that next week. And we'll also hit the, who some of the uh, players are or some of the uh, entertainment. Uh, we'll hit that next week as well. Okay, what else is up here? This looks like uh, okay. I think yeah. that was uh, pretty much it for the Xfinity series. That was series. it for the uh, Xfinity that... series. I'm sorry. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to the Cup series because there's always a lot 
in there. Uh, the Yellowwood 500 <clears throat> will take place at Talladega Super Speedway uh, this Sunday, October the 1st, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. NBC will carry pre-race coverage at 1 p.m. Eastern, uh, radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing 500 miles over 188 laps. First two stages are 60 laps with stage one ending on lap 60, stage two on lap 120, and then, of course, the last stage is 68 laps and we'll end on lap 188. When we started with the Cup Series, they do have some milestones uh, as well um, coming up here. Eric Let's Jones, just do the ones for Talladega. Uh, Eric Jones with his 250th Cup Series start would be this weekend at Talladega. Um, and he'd become the 115th different driver to make 250 or more starts in the NASCAR Cup Series. Uh, Jones made his Cup Series NASCAR Cup Series debut at Kansas Speedway back on May 9th, uh, 2015, that time driving for Joe Gibbs Racing. A driver wins. Uh, that could be uh, changed here at Talladega. Kyle Busch leading all active drivers with career wins at 63. Kevin Harvick at 60. Denny Hamlin, 51. Uh, organization wins. Uh, we just saw Hendrick Motorsports break 300, um, but Wood Brothers is on the cusp of a milestone victory for the Cup Series. They're looking for their 100th Cup Series win this weekend. Mentioned HMS with 300. Joe Gibbs at 200. Joe Gibbs Racing is at 207. RFK Racing at 141. Penske at 137. Team Penske. Richard Childress Racing 116. And then again, the Wood Brothers just under that 100 mark at 99. Looking in uh, manufacturers, the Cup Series. The Chevrolet is looking for 850, as they currently have 848, the most all-time in the Cup Series. Second most is Ford at 726. The car numbers, this one's an interesting one. The number eight car will make its 1,500 start in NASCAR Cup Series history this weekend at Talladega. And the number 99 the next win for the number 99, that'll be its 50th in the NASCAR Cup Series. So some interesting stats there when it comes to uh, milestones. Yeah, and I know uh, Jeff Burton, one of my favorite drivers, uh, had, was a big part of those 99, number 99 wins. Okay, there's going to be... Yeah, that's right. Country Rock Breakout. Hardy is going to perform the fall Saturday night concert presented by Cabo Wabo Tequila at uh, the Super Speedway this weekend at Talladega. Uh, He's uh, a country rock heavy hitter and will headline uh, the Talladega Super Speedway's fall Saturday night concert. Uh, The five-time ACM award winner and reigning uh, country songwriter, of the year will have fans amped up the evening before the Yellowwood 500, which serves as the second race in the round of 12 during the playoffs. So uh, we'll look forward to hearing that over the weekend, especially those people that will be there this weekend. 
Well, and this isn't a, uh, a cutoff race this year, but the playoff bubble right now for the round of 12 provides plenty of unpredictability. Add in the Talladega Super Speedway, and you got some close quarter racing and the multiple twists and turns then of the Charlotte Motor Speedway Roval. That's enough to keep these Cup Series uh, playoff teams up at night. Uh, but they should find solace in knowing it could be those same track attributes that help them get to victory lane over these next two weekends. You look to, since the inception of the elimination-style format in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs that started back in 2014, the driver that wins at Talladega Super Speedway in the postseason has clinched a needed spot into the next round in seven of the nine post-race or postseason races held there running from 2014 to 2022. Uh, Joey Logano in 2015 is that lone winner at Talladega since 2014 that had already clinched his spot into the next round prior to competing at the 2.66-mile track. As Logano swept the round of 12 in 2015, winning all three races that season. And at that time, the round was Charlotte, Kansas, and Talladega. Then in 2021, for the first time since the elimination style format was introduced in 2014, we had non-playoff driver Bubba Wallace picked up the victory at Talladega Super Speedway in that Cup Series playoff race. So since 2014, look at these playoff race winners. Starting with uh, last year, it was Chase Elliott, and he was seventh in points. Mentioned Bubba Wallace was 22nd in points uh, and not in the playoffs in 2021. Then it was Denny Hamlin in 2020, came in second in points, locked himself in. Ryan Blaney in 2019 was 12th in points. Back in 2018, it was Eric Almarola who was sitting 9th in points. 2017, it was Brad Keselowski. Again, he was back in 10th in points. And Joey Logano in 2016 locked himself in. He was eighth in points when he picked up the victory. But in 2015, he was already clinched in on wins, so it didn't matter. Uh, 2014, the first year, that was Brad Keselowski, who was 10th in points. So now this weekend, Bubba Wallace uh, in ninth, Tyler Reddick in 10th, Ryan Blaney in 11th, and Kyle Busch in 12th are the ones that find themselves south in the NASCAR Cup Series round of eight cut line as they head into this playoff race. You see William Byron at 3,083. He's in on wins as he picked up the uh, win this past weekend at Texas. Then you got Denny Hamlin is 37 points above the cut line. Chris Buescher up 22. Christopher Bell up 20. Martin Truex is up 19. Ross Chastain is 12 to the good, and it gets real tight. Brad Keselowski is only eight on the positive side. Kyle Larson, two points, and that puts Bubba Wallace the back two points. Tyler Reddick is back three. Ryan Blaney, back 11, isn't in real bad shape, but Kyle Busch at minus 17 going into Talladega. Uh, he, might be, he might be having some sleepless nights. Yeah, it's going to be interesting uh, for sure. All right. Uh, we already covered that. Let's talk about the Clint scenario. Seven spots are up for grabs in the round of eight. Just two races are left in the Cup Series playoff competitors round of 12 to secure 
those eight spots. And Hendrick, or those seven spots, really, with Hendrick Motorsports' William Byron uh, already clinching his spot at Texas. Seven of the eight spots are still up for grabs if the series heads to Talladega this weekend. Uh, So if there's a repeat winner by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, uh, these drivers can clinch if they're 56 points above the seventh winless driver in the standings, or if the same would hold true if the win comes from among uh, any of these drivers. Denny Hamlin, Chris Buescher, Christopher Bell, Martin Truex Jr., Ross Chastain, and Brad Keselowski, they can only clinch if they get some help, meaning somebody having a bad day and while well, they have a really good day. So we'll see what happens or if they get a win. If there's a new winner from Kyle Larson or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance to the next drive round, these drivers can clinch by being 56 points above the six winless driver in the standings. And again, they can only clinch with help. That's Denny Hamlin, Chris Buescher, Christopher Bell, Martin Truex, and Ross Chastain. All of them can, of course, clinch with a win, and that's all of the current competitors, including Hamlin, Busher, Bell, Truex Jr., Chastain, Keselowski, Larson, Wallace, Reddick, Blaney, and Kyle Busch. So it will be fun to watch this race this weekend, Jay. It will be, and I think uh... – I don't know if you do this intentionally, Sharon, set me up with these headlines where you want to see if I'll sing as we go, sweet home Alabama, and I'm not going to. So, uh, oh, darn it. The NASCAR, <laughs> the NASCAR Cup Series heads to Talladega Super Speedway. Now, since it's um, opened, it has been deemed one of the most daunting tracks on the schedule, and this weekend's Yellowwood 500 at Talladega Super Speedway it looks to be another fantastic opportunity for some close side-by-side comp- competition that the fans have come to know and love. In total, there have been 108 NASCAR Cup Series races at Talladega Super Speedway, the one cup event uh, in 1969, and then two races per year since 1970. Among the 108 cup events, The track has hosted 19 playoff races now in the NASCAR Cup Series. Overall, 46 different winners have qualified on the pole at Talladega Super Speedway. 24 of the 46 have done it multiple times, and 7 of the 46 Cup Series pole winners at Talladega this week are active this weekend. That list includes, for active drivers, Christopher Bell has two, coming from a 2022 sweep. Chase Elliott has two as well in 2019 and 16, as well as Kevin Harvick in 2018 and 05. Uh, single polls, those go to Denny Hamlin, Austin Dillon, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and Martin Truex Jr. Hamlin in 23, Dillon in 19, Stenhouse's came in 17, and then Truex in 16. Now NASCAR Hall of Famer Bill Elliott leads the NASCAR Cup Series in polls at Talladega Super Speedway. With eight poles, he swept in 1985, 86, and 87, and then picked one up in the spring of 90, as well as the fall of 1993. The 108 cup races at Talladega have also produced 51 different cup series race winners at the 2.66-mile track. 
NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Earnhardt leads in series and wins at Talladega with 10 victories. And those came in 83, 84, a sweep in 1990, and then 91, 93, 94, and then a sweep again in 1999, with the last one coming in 2000. Now, 11 of the 51 Cup Series winners at Talladega are active this weekend, led by Brad Keselowski, who's got six wins at the Super Speedway in 2009, 12, 14, 16, 17, and 2021. And former teammate Joey Logano is right behind him with three victories in 2015, 16, and 18. Below those two, a pair goes to Kyle Busch from 2023 and 08. Chase Elliott has two, and as mentioned, 22 and 19. Denny Hamlin in 2020 and 14. And Ryan Blaney in 2020 and 19. Single race winners from 2022 is Ross Chastain. Mentioned Bubba Wallace's non-playoff win in 2021. And then Eric Almarola in 2018, 2017. It was Ricky Stenhouse Jr. you got to go back to 2010 for Kevin Harvick's uh, Talladega win. Now, six of the 11 active Talladega Cup winners are playoff drivers. Keselowski, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, Ross Chastain, and Bubba Wallace. So this weekend's Yellowwood 500 will be broken up into the three stages. Oh, that was the recap from that. I don't know why that's listed here, but the stages will be 60 laps each. Uh, final stage will be 68 laps. And again, the on-track activity for the Cup Series, it'll start Saturday, September 30th with Bushlight Pole Qualifying at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and that'll be on the USA Network. All right. Uh, let's see here. I think we're going all the way up to the top here. Uh, we know William Byron grabbed that win at Texas Motor Speedway last weekend, and that secured his spot into the next round of the postseason, leaving the remaining 11 tenders still vying for one of the spots in the round of eight. With two races left in the round of 12, Talladega Super Speedway and then Charlotte Motor Speedway's Roval, uh, this week competitors will have to face one of the biggest hurdles in the Cup Series playoffs. As Talladega Super Speedway opens the gates and unleashes its 2.66-mile asphalt with 33 degrees of banking in the turns for Sunday's Yellowwood 500. The 2023 season marks the seventh consecutive year that Talladega Super Speedway will host the fifth race of the Cup Series playoffs from 2017 to the current year. Race number 31 of the season. So Talladega is the third different track to host the fifth race of the Cup Series playoffs. They joined Charlotte Motor Speedway 2004-14 and Kansas Speedway from 15 and 16. The track is also the largest paved oval of the series competes on with 33 degree of bankings in the turns. Talladega Super Speedway has participated in the Cup Series playoffs since its inception into the series in 2004 and has occupied five different spots on the postseason schedule. Talladega hosted the third race of the play, Cup Series playoffs in 2004 to 5, the fourth race from 2006, 8, and 12, 
the fifth race in 2017 to 23, the sixth race from 2011, 13, and uh, 14, 15, and 16, the seventh race from 2009 and uh, to 2010. A total of 15 different drivers have won the Cup Series playoff races at Talladega Super Speedway. That's Brad Keselowski in 2014 and 17, Clint Boyer in 2010 and 11, Jamie McMurray in 2009 and 13, Joy Logano from 2015 to 16. They lead the Cup Series in playoff wins at Talladega, uh, let's see, with two victories each. Seven of the 15 Talladega playoff winners are active this weekend, and four of the seven are playoff contenders. That includes Bubba Wallace, who won there in 2021, Denny Hamlin in 2020, Ryan Blaney in 19, and Brad Keselowski twice in 14 and 17. So uh, other playoff race winners include Chase Elliott. Lowell, let's go from the bottom up. Dale Jr., uh, starting in 2004 and then going consecutively up the line here, it was Dale Jarrett, Brian Vickers, Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, and Jamie McMurray. Starting in 2010, it was Clint Boyer twice in 2010 and 2011. Matt Kenseth, Jamie McMurray, Brad Keselowski, and Joy Logano brings us up to 2015. He also won in 2016. Then it was Brad Keselowski, Eric Almarola, Ryan Blaney, Denny Hamlin up to 2020. And in 21, where was Bubba Wallace? And 22, it was Chase Elliott. During the Cup Series playoff era, 2004 to the present, the winner of the Talladega playoff race has never gone on to win the title in the same season. Isn't that amazing? But twice the playoff winner has finished runner-up in the championship standings at the end of the season. Jeff Gordon in 2007 and Joey Logano in 2016. The worst finish in the NASCAR Cup Series playoff race at Talladega by a driver that went on to win the title the same season was 37th by Kyle Larson, and he did that in 2021. A total of 15 different drivers have won the Cup, have won the Cup Series fifth race in the playoffs. Nine of those 15 drivers are active this weekend, and four of those nine are currently in the playoffs. Bubba Wallace. 2022 at Talladega, Danny Hamlin, 21 at Talladega, Ryan Blaney in 2019 at Talladega, and Brad Keselowski at Talladega in 17 and at Charlotte in 2013. Jimmy Johnson leads the Cup Series in wins in the fifth race of the Cup Series playoffs with three victories. That was in 2004, 2005, and 9 all at Charlotte Motor Speedway, Brad Keselowski at 2013 in Charlotte and 17 at Talladega, Kevin Harvick 2014 at Charlotte and 2016 at Kansas, and they lead all active drivers in wins in the fifth race of the Cup Series playoffs with two apiece. Uh, Let's see, race number 31. Other winners uh, for that fifth race, uh, Chase Elliott, at, uh, the ones at Talladega includes Chase Elliott, 
uh, Bubba Wallace, Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, and Brad Keselowski, and that dates from 2017 to 22. Uh, from 2015 and 16 at Kansas, it was Joey Logano and Kevin Harvick. And then at Charlotte, dating from 2004 to 2014, that's a 10-year span. We'll start in 2004 and 2005 with Jimmy Johnson. Then it was Casey Kane in 2006, Jeff Gordon, Jeff Burton in 2008, Jen, Jimmy Johnson again in 2009, Jamie McMurray in 10, Matt Kinseth in the 11th, Clint Boyer in 12, Brad Keselowski in 2013, and then Kevin Harvick in 2014. Now, twice the winner of the fifth race in the playoffs have gone on to win the title later that season, both happening at Charlotte Motor Speedway, uh, 2004 and 14. In 2009, Jimmy Johnson won the fifth race in the playoffs from the pole at Charlotte Motor Speedway, then went on to win his fourth consecutive Cup Series title. It was his third of four wins in the 2009 postseason. Then in 14, Kevin Harvick won the fifth race of the playoffs from the seventh starting spot at Charlotte Motor Speedway and went on to win his first career Cup Series title. It was his first of three wins during the 2014 postseason. Six times a non-playoff driver has won the NASCAR Cup Series playoff race at Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, in 2005, Dale Jarrett won the playoff race at Talladega. He was 14th in points. Brian Vickers won that playoff race at Talladega, and he was 16th in points in 2006. In 2009, it was Jamie McMurray winning the playoff race at Talladega. He was 22nd in points. In 2011, Clint Boyer won at Talladega playoff race, and he was 13th in points. Jamie McMurray McMurray was 14th in points when he won the playoff race at Talladega in 2013. And Bubba Wallace was 21st in points when he won the playoff race at Talladega in 2021. Three times a non-playoff driver won that fifth race in the Cup Series playoffs. In 2010, it was Jamie McMurray who won the fifth race at Charlotte, and he was 14th in points. In 2013, Brad Kozlowski won the fifth race at Charlotte. Uh, at the Charlotte playoff race, he was 16th in points. And again, Bubba Wallace was 21st in the playoff race at Talladega in 2021 when he won the playoff race. So that pretty much completes our uh, Cup Series uh, preview for the Talladega race this weekend. Uh, and we've got three minutes to spare, under, just under three minutes to spare, Jay. <laughs> well, if you're looking to fill that time, i got some information here. Uh, I know it wasn't on one of the uh, platforms we talked about as far as broadcasting races, but if you recall from the spring race, there was a sprint car race there at the dirt track at Talladega. They got a huge weekend at the Hornet's Nest, the dirt track uh, at Talladega. Uh, here on the 29th and 30th, as it's the Red Farmer Tribute Race Weekend. Uh, crate Race in USA, oh, are gonna, cool. late models are going to be running Friday night. And then the Jerry Goodwin Challenge to Beat Cancer 
Hunt a Front Super Dirt Series be there as well Friday and Saturday night. So, and I know I saw a lot of people talking about it. You want to meet some of these drivers, uh, not just at an autograph session, but out and about. I think you're going to see quite a few of them over there at that dirt track, uh, the Hornet's Nest, on the Friday and Saturday night. <laughs> I think so. And you're right. I'm so glad you had that information, Jay. Uh, it is going to be a big weekend at Talladega Super Speedway. And uh, it's not just about NASCAR. There's so much more going on. And uh, Red Farmer, one of the one of the his, historic uh, members of NASCAR for a very long time, uh, spanning several decades, uh, that's pretty cool that they're doing that. It is, and again, whether he's racing or not, you'll find him in the pit area with that iconic uh, Lewis Long Ford paint scheme on the side of his van. It's not hard to miss. I can't tell you the exact pit stall number, but it's always the same one just off of turn number one as you come off the track. Not that I've been there or spent any amount of real time there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, I I think that's uh, fantastic, and I'm so glad you shared that information. But we are at the top of the hour, and that means it is now time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And we have Brian Everly with us today, and I'm so glad because he has a burning hot topic that I think he's been wanting to talk about for some time now. And uh, so, Brian, uh, have at it. Oh, I'm, I'm I'm glad you remembered. I felt like missing last week's show is probably going to be done and over with by now. But yeah, we can we can well, we have talked about it, but but uh, <laughs> we wanted to welcome you to the show to get that one off your chest. That's that's perfect. I'm definitely ready to talk about that one, and that one would be the fact that Road America will not even have an Xfinity race next year, which I think is just crazy. I don't agree with that decision at all. Um, as many of you probably know, Chicagoland Speedway is my home track. I've been to more races there than anywhere. Love that place. Even though I don't live in Illinois anymore, it will always be my home track. I get why they don't race there anymore. The numbers just didn't support it. The racing had gotten a lot better. The attendance was just honestly dismal and disappointing year after year. The media coverage was no one in the local media seemed to cover it or care about it. Going to the Chicago Street Course there is definitely kind of a jolt of NASCAR, I think, to the area. I still hold out hope that Chicagoland comes back one day. I drive by it frequently still when I'm in Illinois visiting family and friends, and it still looks in good shape ready to hold a race. But anyway, um, Road America, the fans definitely have supported that race. They've supported the Xfinity race since 2010, and I didn't get to go to either cup race there with scheduling, but just fantastic turnout um, for both of those weekends. It's an incredible facility. It's like they built a racetrack inside of a state park. The food is amazing. There's so many good viewpoints. It's the, everyone there, it's a great atmosphere. It just seems ridiculous they're not going to race there with Xfinity. I think a great standalone weekend, too, for Xfinity. I, again, it sounds like if, if you know, Montreal or whatever is going to be where they go, it's going to be another Xfinity Cup combination weekend. And I, I do like the Xfinity Series having a little bit more identity and standalone races, and I think we're getting fewer and fewer and fewer of those as well. So definitely an awful, awful decision. I think the fact that there's going to be no NASCAR there next year at all. Um, on the plus side, they did come out with their full season schedule. A lot of great racing still there. I went to a couple of sports car events this season. They were a lot of fun. Um, unlike with NASCAR, the whole paddock garage area is open to anyone and everyone with a ticket. 
Um, drivers are super, super interactive. I think one of my favorite memories from this year was Jordan Taylor did a brat eating contest with the fans um, on Friday, the race weekend there. Uh, just really cool atmosphere, great place. So still go check it out. But the fact that this, there's going to be no NASCAR there this year is, just, I think, just ridiculous. And, um, yeah, that's kind of my, my, my rant. Oh, okay. Uh, Jay, did you want to uh, say anything about it? I know you've talked about yeah. this before, but. Well, and, and having been to that track as well, I understand Brian's pain, and it is really tough to sw- a pill to swallow of not seeing any there for next year. Um, you talk about it the year we went, there were, I believe, three different uh, divisions that raced prior to the Xfinity Series of the Trans Am different sports cars. Uh, there's plenty of activity throughout the uh, entire infield. I know my son and I rode some uh, some of the NASCAR go-karts. They got a little track in, uh, I can't remember which turn it is, um, over in the corner. So a great facility. The good news, Brian, is that you heard it mentioned, it's not a done deal. They are never coming back. It's just they're not on the schedule for next year. Um, and I think we got to get kind of used to this. As we talked about different things, we don't have the schedule out for this year. I know it's still planned on becoming in the next week or so, but we may see this where it's a track gets a date for a couple of years every on a rotating basis. Um, so we, I have full confidence we'll see racing there, the Cup Series or the Xfinity Series down the road. Uh, it's unfortunate, uh, as you said, of not next year of anything. Uh, that is a real shame. But it also allows for the new markets, and I think then we'll highlight when they do come back, and you'll see it even more packed than it was if that's possible. So yeah. that's that's the good news side to it. Um, but I definitely feel your pain. That was a, a wonderful mm-hmm. facility. Um, I happened to be crossing through Wisconsin at the time when it came up, and I didn't pass up that opportunity. Yeah, I, I do love that point you make. I actually think that's a great idea, and I, I think maybe more of the direction they're going and a thought that I've had with the Chicago Street Race, right? They've uh, allegedly got a, a three-year agreement with them. In, in my opinion, you do that for three years, and then you go three years and go race somewhere else and then maybe somewhere else and then come back to Chicago for a two- or three-year deal. I do kind of like that idea. I don't know how financially viable that is if you've got, you know, facilities and things like that that you're – only running that every every few years, but I think what I'd love to see them is kind of map that out more longer term, right? You look at, you know, like college football, right? I think they've already got, you know, agreements and teams. I know, like, NIU, my, my alma mater, was gonna, is playing Notre Dame next year, and that's been known about for, like, two or three years. So, like, some sort of, like, longer range, like, hey, these, you know, we're going to go to this stuff, I think would be awesome to see, so you kind of know. You are right in the fact that I think that will draw, you know, great crowds at some of these places because, you know, less is, less is more, right? For a while there, we were having so much racing at Chicagoland with multiple weekends and two Xfinity races and IndyCar, ARC. I think it was just maybe too much at some point, too, Um, minus also the date change in September. A lot of people didn't like, but I do think that, you know, having something like that where it it is like you're without it for a couple years and then it comes back and you're like, bam, we're going to go. Um, I do think is a definite direction for them to to look to, especially as they're going to go to new markets, right? Look at you know, the NFL is playing in London this weekend, right? But a little different when it comes to the NFL because there's 300 plus NFL games a year. You can go play a couple in London, but you only got 36 races to distribute up. I feel like you know the United States is about all you can go, and if you're going to start going internationally, yeah, look at something kind of like you mentioned, uh, you know, three race, three years or two years or whatever it is, and kind of flip flop around. Be be kind of neat to see. 
Yeah, I think that um, you made some really good points as well, uh, Brian, and, and kind of you, you, you share a sentiment that a lot of us uh, from that Chicagoland area feel uh, because uh, both of those tracks are, are – we saw some great racing at Chicagoland Speedway, uh, and there's been some great racing at Road America, so it doesn't seem fair, if you will, <laughs> that they would take those races away. But – um, you also made some great points. One of the things that I think Gateway did so well uh, that I wish Chicago could have also done is they reached out to the community and got community involvement. And with the community involvement came media coverage. So I, I hope that if Chicagoland gets another opportunity that they learn uh, from what Gateway did. Uh, because Gateway did such a great job of engaging the community in the, what was happening at the racetrack. And uh, that's what Chicagoland needs to do as well. And I think Road America has done that really well as well. So um, I hope they do get another chance. I do worry, because you brought up another good point, how viable it is. Are they able to keep uh, activities going on at that track to make it viable um, when they're not racing at the track, if they do the three years uh, at one location and move it to another location? Um, I, I hope that, that uh, if they get that second chance, I hope they look for ways to use that facility uh, for other things, like when I was at, down in Texas at Christmas time, Circuit of the Americas had that uh, drive-through uh, with all kinds of just amazing Christmas decorations that we got to drive on the track and uh, enjoy the scenery, if you will, uh, to celebrate Christmas. Uh, so there has to be more of those kind of activities that are taking place at the track as well, and not just Christmas. Uh, throughout the year. Uh, I just kind of give that one as an example. Uh, the other thing is that um, uh, I just had it and now I lost it. Uh, well, maybe you've got something more to say. Uh, maybe it will come to me what I had in my mind. I know it's an important one and I just can't think of what it is right now. <laughs> hey, when that happens. But yeah, I think you make a couple of good points there. And one is, yeah, I'd love to see Chicago and get another shot just to see what this had intended to be, right? We haven't had a race there since 2019. That was, you know, the last time, and no one knew it was the last race going into it, right? It was COVID came around. They weren't going back to Chicago because of Illinois regulations and never seen another NASCAR race there since. Um, I'd love to see what media coverage would look like, what attendance would look like if they came back in, you know, 2025 or something like that. I do think you might see really good attendance and then, that track is now aged another three, four years. We saw some really good mile-and-a-half races there. The next-gen car yes, obviously races seemingly the best on the mile-and-a-half tracks right now. So I'd love to see Chicago and get another shot there. And you're right. I think you know oval tracks need to look at other ways they can use the facilities throughout the year and make it a full entertainment complex. So, you know, Kansas, I don't know how much goes on at the actual racetrack, but they've done a really nice job of building up that area around it. There's a casino that overlooks turn two. There's a minor league baseball stadium that's right there. I forget the name of the team. There's a bunch of nice restaurants and things. It's a really neat area. And, you know, as you mentioned, Road America, I've heard that they have 400-some events there a year. Um, Monday and Wednesday night, they do four miles of fitness. Um, anyone can come for five bucks and 
walk, bike, or um, run the track. And usually when I've done that a bunch this summer, there's been different track days cleaning up there from, you know, motorcycles to, you know, all these different kinds of sports cars and things like that. And they do winter driving schools. I've heard that a bunch of um, Wisconsin state troopers and local police officers go there for trainings and things like that. They, they just use that facility for a ton of stuff. Um, there's always activities going on this year. They've added this Fright Fest coming up for, for Halloween with multiple haunted houses and things like that. Um, they have a disc golf place there. I think you can play year-round or at least until the winter months. Um, as Jay mentioned, the go-karts, they have a really nice Briggs & Stratton-sponsored go-kart track that I think is open um, throughout the year um, until the, up until the winter months as well. So it's a ton of stuff that they typically have going on. And I think, like, to your point, if they say, like, oh, we're Chicago and we're going to race here, you know, two or three out of every 10 years, well, they've got to have some other stuff there, I feel like, to make the, the cost of the upkeep of that facility to be – financially beneficial. I know as a fan, we all think that. That's a great idea. They should do that. I'd love to see more tracks and different tracks and things like that. So be interesting to see kind of where it goes um, and curious to see what the 24, 24 schedule will look like um, overall, hopefully coming up here in the next few weeks. I would think they'd want to get that out before the season ends, but also early enough where it's not a storyline headed into the championship weeks. Absolutely. Okay. We all good, Brian? <laughs> I mean, I could probably talk about it all day, but yeah, I think I'm I think I'm good on that one for now. We can move on. There's a lot. Of, I feel like a lot of news dropping this week. Every every minute, it's like something popping up on Twitter from Podcast or something popping up in our team's chat of someone sharing a hot topic. So a lot of different things. I think a lot of different directions we can go. Sure, okay, sure. Jay, can what? I jump in here real quick with something? Sure, sure. You guys right. talked a lot about media coverage, and I don't have the exact details or how or why it plays in. But one of the things that got talked about on Sirius XM uh, radio this past week, keep in mind during that summer stretch, NBC is going to be covering the Olympics. Um, so that kind of oh, ties yeah. into some of the different marketing and media coverage when it comes to these races. Like I said, I don't know exactly know how or why that would affect, you know, they're going to have a race somewhere throughout the Olympics. But NBC also covers the Olympics, and that, that got mentioned with the Road America one um, when it came to possibly why they weren't on the schedule this year. So, like I said, I don't yeah. know the exact details of why that plays in, but that is a factor, NBC covering the Olympics. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, point, and I, I think, remember I what I, I did hear that. Forgotten. Go, go. I remember. Before you forget. Okay. Yeah, um, I wanted to just mention also that uh, Iowa Speedway is another track that I really like, and there is a, and I'm going to say this in capital letters, a rumor that's going around uh, that one of the reasons that the schedule is delayed is because they're still negotiating for the uh, road course up in Montreal. Uh, and they, the the rumor is if that falls through, uh, we might see Xfinity and Cup Series racing at Iowa Speedway, which I think would be fantastic. Oh, make my heart so happy. Uh, all I can say, though, I did see that rumor. People need to stop messing with the fine people of Iowa with these sticking that dangling yeah. carrot out there if they're going to get a cup race. Because, I mean, they've been hearing that since, I feel like, the early 2000s. Had some awesome Xfinity races there. Great facility. I think the perfect size track. I think that track is aged too and made it even better with bumps. Um, love Iowa probably even a little bit more than I do Chicagoland. Um, great track, great facility, great people. 
Um, obviously, there was some concern. I think it seats about 30,000. That's too small for a cup race, but I think that's what National Super Speedway seats, and they're fine going there for cup races. So um, I'd, I'd be excited to see that. I mean, I'd also be excited to see a street race in Montreal. I think really cool as well. But when I saw that rumor pop up the other day or someone shared it, I, I was immediately like, oh, I hope Montreal doesn't work out. I want to see Xfinity and Cup in, cup in Iowa. And um, kind of while we're on the topic, it's tracks I love. Um, Love the IndyCar schedule coming out this week and a double header yeah. at the Milwaukee Mile next year. It sounds like uh, NASCAR is prepared to give the middle finger to Milwaukee and not even bring the trucks back next year. So I do love the fact that uh, IndyCar will be there for a double header weekend. Um, another great track um, that's been around. I think the longest, oldest operating oval in the United States, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah. Don't quote me on my history there, but great facility on the on the state fairgrounds. Um, they had a little bit of, you know, struggle, I feel like, with having it staffed appropriately for as many fans as they had for the truck race. But great crowd for a truck race, in my opinion, as well. But it sounds like they're not going to be able to work things out logistically, financially, contractually, or whatever, for the trucks to return next year, um, which is disappointing. But I love the fact that it's going to get an IndyCar doubleheader weekend um, headed into them, the IndyCar finale in Nashville. So I, I know there's a lot of fans upset about the IndyCar schedule not returning to Texas and I think people just love to complain about any schedule um, these days, but I really like IndyCar next year. I love Nashville finale. I think it's perfect. Um, and I love the Milwaukee doubleheader. And they're also going to race, of course, at Road America. So a uh, big fan of that as well. Okay. Uh, we'll kind of move to our normal uh, format here. Uh, Jay, what are your thoughts about that possibility? Yeah, I mean, I'm with Brian. They got to quit teasing this. Either you're gonna do it or you're not. Um, yeah. But it, it goes back to that. Do we want to see that of, of rotating? You know, if they get one for a couple of years. And I know Brian was talking about some of the things. The oval tracks, I think, have a tougher time um, filling the off season or when they don't have the cup date. You know. Um, Oval tracks have a little bit tougher time. Uh, road courses, you have more of an opportunity, whether it be camping. I like the thing, and I've seen Brian's picture where he's out walking the track with the um, mm-hmm. PT, pro- PT program. Uh, if I were near a facility like that, I would certainly take advantage of that, whether it be on a bike, walking, whatever, because um, I think that would be a great place to do something like that. So they have more of that capability but that is one of the things that these tracks are going to have to look at um, if we look at doing a rotating basis. And that one's a tough one because I would love to see the Cup Series go to Montreal for a multitude of reasons. I think that road course is a great road course. We've seen some great racing there when it comes to previous Xfinity and Truck Series races. But I would also love to see Iowa Speedway get their opportunity for a Cup race. So, um, that's a tough one to try and call. I don't know which one I really want to see happen. I think we just need to race 50, 52, 52 cup races a year every weekend. <laughs> I can't, of course. That works for all of us. I don't know if the, if the uh, drivers and teams more, would appreciate more mid, it. More midweek races. Yeah, don't, hopefully no one that's in NASCAR is listening because, yeah, they would definitely not like that. Already probably one of the most yeah. more grueling travel schedules for us. Uh, professional sport, at least in the United States, um, that's out there. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see what, where it goes and, and what happens. Okay. Jay, why don't you pick out our next hot topic here, and we'll go to our, our usual format. Man, I, that was a tough one there. I was uh, scanning through some of them. 
and I know some of them we're going to have to talk about again come Monday when uh, Mike and Bron- or Mike and Andy are back. But let's just go with Spire Motorsports buying Kyle Busch Motorsports. Um, I know Mike yeah, kind of said one. something about this. And I had heard, uh, again, I think it was maybe Sunday or Monday, somewhere in there listening to SiriusXM. Again, the source, as Mike put it, was from Reddit, um, not a, exactly a reliable source, but it did come to fruition. Um, that one, the, the rumor was true. So, But Kyle Busch Motorsports has officially sold out to Spire Motorsports. Okay, Brian, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Did you I see think, this one coming? Uh, I mean, yes and no, I guess. I mean, it, it makes sense, right, when you hear Kyle talk about the fact that, you know, his kids are getting older, Brexton is older, Brexton's racing a ton. You know, Kyle's on a new team. He's also involved in, you know, several different things. He's got his rowdy energy drink. He's also doing more dirt racing. Um, obviously, maybe he has different or more responsibilities within RCR. So, it, it does make sense, but I feel like we've heard him talk time and time again how his dream for Kyle Busch Motorsports is to run trucks there until Brexton is in a truck and they run a truck race or multiple truck races together. And, you know, he obviously went through a ton, I, I feel like, when his contractual his contract was up last year, all those negotiations, and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he also needed to find a you know, ensure the truck team was still viable. And they had to switch from Toyota to Chevy. And I don't know all that goes into the manufacturer changes these days with so many things kind of being similar. But, again, a big change there for that to do that for this year and then to sell off right away definitely came as a surprise to me. It it makes sense. I get his reasoning. It's not shocking from that standpoint. But, I mean, he he talked repeatedly last year about how he was – very concerned about, you know, the the future of the employees of his company and everything. And, and maybe it just comes down to he would have loved to have sold it off last year, but there wasn't the right buyer. And now Spire is just, you know, buying up things left and right with a cup charter and now Kyle Busch Motorsports. So I, I think there must have been enough there for him to feel like, hey, this is going to put this team in good hands. And what I haven't really heard yet is if he's still going to be somehow involved in the team or stuff like that, I get that he probably just doesn't have the time that it takes to be an owner of a truck team with his 87 other obligations. So that makes sense, but it is, you know, definitely sad given that they're the winningest team in truck series history. I started following the truck series a lot because of Kyle Busch when he was dropping down and running lower series and, and whatnot. So definitely surprising, but I guess understandable when it comes down to it. And my, my thought, literally no insight or anything to this is that he would have done it last year and sold the Spire if the opportunity was there. It just wasn't, it was now, and he just decided now's the time. Okay, yeah, I, I I agree with you. It's kind of like yes and no as far as being surprised about it. I think that uh, uh, we saw the same thing happen with Kevin Harvick Incorporated. I mean, he he does still have his uh, public relations uh, arm uh, working, but he stepped away from the the uh, racing operations that he had, and now that's what's happening with Kyle Busch. Um, so I, I think you had to expect it at some point in time, and now with Brexton coming up through the ranks, uh, I heard that uh, Jeff Gordon's trying to sign Brexton now too. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but it'll be interesting if it does. Um uh, but anyway, I guess uh, part of this, some of what I've been hearing, how much of this is true, I don't know. So take it for what it's worth. It's just stuff that I've been hearing. Um, I heard that um, 
uh, Kyle wasn't happy with the support that he was getting from Chevrolet, and that led to one of the reasons why he was interested in selling it. I also heard, um, uh, you know, the same things that you guys said, that he's got so many other obligations, it's just time uh, to let go. Uh, but I was wondering, where is Spire coming up with all this money? Uh, because they're part of that uh, cup charter uh, purchase as well. Um, and now, you know, they're saying that they're buying the Kyle Busch Motorsports. Uh, one thing I heard is that GameBridge has become a huge part of the sponsorship there. And Michael Andretti, who has been wanting to get into NASCAR, uh, or talking about getting into NASCAR for such a long time, uh, that he may also be part of the money that's involved behind the scenes. So we'll have to wait and see if there's any other announcements here. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, just hearing some of the rumors, it sounds very intriguing, and I can't wait to hear if there is more uh, that's kind of involved with all of this. I would love to see Spire uh, be more competitive and uh, they're bringing in some some big name drivers. So uh, I, you know, with Zane Smith and Carson Hosevar, uh, Joy Corey LaJoy, I I think it's going to be huge. So um, and now they've got Kyle Busch Motorsports uh, that gives them the ladder uh, to feed into uh, all of this. Or is that going to be the ladder that feeds into all of this from the truck series into the cup series uh, via the Xfinity series? Or are they just going to use those resources to bump up their uh, cup series organization? I don't know yet. So those are the things that I'd like to hear more about and find out what is true and what isn't true. I wish they'd come out and let us know. Uh, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, and there is so much that is involved in this on so many levels. Just start with Kyle Busch uh, deciding, making this decision to sell the team. Uh, and you saw from his release statement, everything, obviously, we've seen many drivers um, talk about this as their kids get older. They want to be involved with what they're doing. Uh, Braxton's career, he wants to be involved with that. And he's racing, he said, as much as Kyle is. So I get it. That true statement, and I don't... Uh, begrudge him that at all to make that decision. But I think there's some unsaid things, in it. and Sharon, you kind of hit on a little bit of it. I think the switch over from Toyota to Chevrolet, the same factory uh, manufacturer support just wasn't there. Uh, and they looked at um, how the team's performance was this year. I think they only had the one win, and that came from Kyle Busch. Although Chase Purdy had a, a much improved year, um, it still wasn't what it was when it was with Toyota. And if anybody knows Kyle Busch, you, you know, not, not, not even necessarily personally, just from the outside, he's all in, 110% at all times. And I think that it just wasn't the same there. Um, couple that with the fact that he does have other things he wants to be involved in, now is the time. Um, so it kind of parallels up. You mentioned, though, part of his negotiations last year, that was part of it making sure his employees that he had um, with him at KBM were taken care of. And this covers that as well. I believe there was some type of agreement tied in. Again, we don't know all the details, but they're buying the team, and the, thus the employees come along with it. That is, from my understanding, they do plan to still field 
three truck teams. Uh, they expect Chase Purdy. Now, again, this is none of this is official. The only thing that's official is that it's been sold to Spire Motorsports. But they expect Chase Purdy and Jack Wood to return to the team as well as then run a third team. And you mentioned whether or not Kyle makes any starts, um, what they do with that third team. If it's not a full-time, one driver full-time, I think they can fill that seat. So that's from that aspect of it. Uh, The next side of it was the money. And you got to kind of follow the line here when we talked about Spire Motorsports buying up, uh, buying the, charter for 40 million it was like whoa where did that money come from we know part of it was in conjunction with leasing it to for one year anyway to track house racing with zane smith because zane smith is technically signed to track house they're leasing that charter so that's at least a portion of their money that's going to come back to them but now with this buying uh, kbm motorsports again a lot of it seemed to be linked towards gainbridge uh, as a sponsor which they've sponsored a, a race here or two now you follow that, and the ties to Gainbridge is Michael Andretti. And I want to say it's Andretti Global is the name of um, Andretti's team, and that spans across all aspects of motor racing. We've heard for many years that they've been looking to get involved in NASCAR. So, again, you kind mm-hmm. of follow that money line. I think eventually we're going to see uh, more of that come to light at this point that's uh, – just kind of a trying to trace the money, if you will. Um, but they're involved, uh, most certainly when it comes to the financial side, whether or not it becomes, you know, uh, not just Spire Motorsports, but Andretti Global, whatever the name of the, his company is there. I don't have it right off the top of my head. But I think we're going to see more of that involvement as it goes down the road. The one good thing I look at, um, and I can't remember who had it on, what is now X, formerly Twitter. You know, that's how they're saying it nowadays, but um, I still just go with Twitter. Um, GMS shut down completely. I don't even know if any of those assets have been sold. Here, at least, this truck team is staying intact. It's going to have a different name run by different owners and a different operation, but it's still existing, whereas GMS is not. So that's a good thing when it comes to the truck series itself. You're not completely losing the team. It's just under different management. So I take that as a positive, and I am really excited to see where Spire Motorsports go, and I'll talk a little more about that when we go around a second time. Okay. Brian, your follow-up. I don't know. That was a perfect segue into kind of my point I wanted to make now here, too, is just that you're losing some competitive teams and owners from the series. And that kind of brings me back to ARCA in 2018 when you had MDM Motorsports running four cars, Benny Rini running four or five cars. MDM shut the doors right at the time. They had Harrison Burton, Zane Smith, Sheldon Creed driving for them. Those drivers obviously moved up the ladder. That team went away. The quality of Venerini drivers in the cars has gone down over the years. And ARCA just isn't what it was in 16, 18, and obviously even in the earlier years. A little bit of a concern there when it comes to the truck series as well. You lost GMS. You lost three quality trucks and a quality team. You know, Raja was running really well this year. Daniel Dye's done all right. Enfinger's won multiple races. Now you're looking at Kyle Busch Motorsports. Obviously, they didn't have the best of the year, but also let's not pretend like Chase Purdy's been the best driver out there behind the wheel either. You haven't had guys like, you know, William Byron, Bubble Wallace. Look at all those guys that KBM, KBM's had in his trucks over the years. Um, obviously, Kyle did get the one win, but let's not pretend like right now at least Spire is not running at the cup level competitively 
Are they going to be running as competitively at the truck level as a Kyle Busch would? Probably not, at least not in the first couple of years. So you're losing, you know, three trucks completely and three trucks downgrading. I think that is, is, is something that definitely should be looked at. Obviously, we've seen that the purse money at the truck level is really, really ugly. Um, it's got to be so hard to keep a truck team financially viable. I think I heard Kozlowski saying he was losing like a million bucks a year. Um, you know, you just look at, at drivers that have sold off their truck series operations now. Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Brad mm-hmm. Kozlowski, you know, three very talented, very well-known drivers. Brad seems to have such a great business mindset about him as well. Like, they're not finding that to be financially viable business. I think, to me, overall, that's the concern in all this and, you know, w- where it goes from there. You know, let's not look at taking the trucks internationally or somewhere, you know, let's figure out how we make it so these teams aren't selling off and closing their doors with just a 23-race schedule right now, too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, Jay, thank you for expanding on where I was going with uh, some of my thinking. I was trying to think, where did I see that? And then I went over to the team page uh, to read some of the comments there, and that's where I saw it. Um uh, so thank you for expanding on that because I think it makes it really clear where that's coming from. And, Brian, you bring up an excellent point, I think, about uh, what's going on with the truck series. It's kind of scary, and you and you got to feel for some of these drivers uh, that are signing up under one um, team and only to find out that the team is no longer there. Now they're racing for an entirely different team. I know they'll try to make it as seamless as they possibly can for those drivers, but this is a lot of change for one organization, and it is going to take some time for that to that um, uh, to build up. Maybe they'll surprise us next season. I don't know, but um, uh, there are reasons why those guys are dropping out. And you you mentioned more than just Kyle Busch Motorsports and Kevin Harvick. Yeah, I'd forgotten about Brad Keselowski in that mix as well. So, um, and one of the things that uh, Kyle Busch always brought up with Kyle Busch Motorsports is part of his sponsorship was based on him racing in some of those races. So, um, it, it it makes it really hard. And I know when fans complain about some of the top-name drivers coming into those series and race, I think that's one of the points that they miss is that it takes sponsorship in order to put on these events. And so you need to have some of those big-name drivers in some of those events so that you can bring sponsorship to that level of racing. Uh, When we were talking to some of the drivers here on our radio show, uh, and I remember Eric Jones saying this so well, and, and other, uh, Alex Bowman, uh, when we had them on the show in their earlier years, one of the things that they said so well is that in order to beat the best, in order to be the best, you have to be able to beat the best. And they always looked forward to having Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick and some of those top-name drivers in the series with them uh, so that they could learn from those drivers. So I, I think that that's one thing that NASCAR needs to take maybe another look at is that if we're losing sponsorship, that may be one of the reasons why uh, is because they're not getting the recognition, the name recognition in those lower tiers like the truck series uh, with the bigger names. So I, they might need to open that up again. 
Just a thought. Uh, Jay, your, your follow-up. Yeah, and there again, I, I, I got to give it to Kyle. Uh, whether or not, you know, we talked about whether or not he was unhappy with Chevrolet's support when it came to the truck series versus Toyota's. The, he made no mention of that. And I know he was vocal, as you said, when NASCAR cut down on the number of races mm-hmm. that these top drivers could um, participate in. He did make that point of, hey, I need to, you know, again, he's obviously a talent bring his name to the series for multiple races in order to secure sponsorship for the entire year so that he could put other drivers who maybe don't bring the sponsorship in. And you mentioned it. I mean, some of the names that have come through Kyle Busch Motorsports, Bubba Wallace, Eric Jones, uh, William Byron. Uh, I know I heard the interview with William, William Byron talking about that. Even now still says, hey, if it weren't for KBM, I may not be in the position I'm in. So that was yeah, huge for them. Um, whether or not Spire Motorsports can do that same thing, we'll have to see. Uh, I do like the fact that we're seeing them build um, to what level um, they can take it. Uh, I know Mike and I go back and forth on this. Of you know, He says these, uh, what do you call it, pay-to-race teams, no intention of improving. They're just there to get a paycheck, you know, are they truly invested in it? Well, if you spend, and I heard it was 40, roughly $40 million for the charter, uh, $25 million for KBM and its operations, I understand where there was some concern, and I heard this on the SiriusXM as well. They needed, for the three cup teams, they needed a bigger facility. With the KBM uh, picking up that 77,000-square-foot facility, they have more room but they're not pushing the trucks out. They're just going to combine and utilize it to their cup program as well. Like I said, from what I've heard, the intention is three trucks, three cup cars. We don't have that official on either end yet, but that's the heavy rumor. Um, So I want to see what they can build. And we've seen the improvement already with Spire Motorsports, at least on one end of it with Corey LaJoy, gone to being in the mix, top five Mm -hmm. to top ten, um, I'm trying to remember now, I think three times maybe this year, Coyle Joy has made the final round of qualifying to, to be in the top 10 for the first time in his career. So we're seeing that progression. You're not going to go from that, you know, where they were at to winning races overnight, but they're getting into the top 10 and in the mix when it comes to certain tracks. And that's where it starts. So I'm really looking forward. To, I'm excited about the future. Now, when it comes to the truck series, and these teams either selling off or shutting down completely, uh, you know, that's always been a concern when it comes to the truck series. And that debate goes back to when they initially started. There was only one or two times a year that they were a companion event with the Cup Series, and that was part, or the Xfinity Series, and that they were standalone events. Part of the reason they went to the combo events was for that reason was they weren't Mm-hmm. Doing it, making enough on their own at this uh, standalone event, compare, match them up with another series. So it's a weekend package deal. It benefited everybody, you know. And now we see where they're. I think they're down to maybe three or four throughout the year where they actually are standalone events. And we talk about that. Then they have to go to modified pit stops. Uh, the teams have to make adjustments because a lot of them are working truck series and cup or Xfinity and cup. Um, so there's some good and bad that come with it. 
I, I'm not concerned of the, the series going away completely. We've seen it, some great competitive racing. Week in and week out, maybe some of the best racing and action. You've got the mixture of veterans like Matt Craft and um, that have been around there and happy in the truck series. I would have put Matt DiMenedetto on there as well, but I'm not sure where he's at now. Um, <laughs> but then you have the, the, the mixture of the young ones coming up trying to make their name. Um, so it's a, it's a tough balance you got to find. But I think this series is going to be okay um, overall. Uh, we may go through that stage, as Brian talked about, with the ARCA where we see a little bit of slack. You know, I don't think we've gotten to the point where you only have a handful of one to five teams that you think can win every week. We've seen that throughout, throughout the playoffs this year. Yes, there's still the cream comes to the top, but I think there's 10 to 12 competitive teams that I think you could see win week in and week out, and that's a good thing. All right. We'll let that be the last word there. Uh, Brian, what's our next uh, topic? Um, that's a good one. I think we can go next with maybe um, Sammy Smith signing on with Junior Motorsports. I think uh, to me, oh, sorry, we can uh, kick off with everyone's thoughts uh, first, but I think that was kind of a little bit surprising, at least to me anyway. I wasn't expecting to see that bad news this week. Okay. Jay, your thoughts about uh, Sammy Smith? Well, this is one, when we talk about the number eight for Junior Motorsports, this had been rumored uh, at least once or twice the tie with the Flying Pilot G sponsorship used to be with Junior Motorsports and Michael Annette. When Michael Annette left, the sponsor disappeared and then reappeared with Sammy Smith uh, at Joe Gibbs Racing, both of them being Iowa drivers, which is where that uh, family-based company is from. I really don't understand it, and I didn't realize that Sammy Smith was under, only under a one-year contract there with Joe Gibbs for the Xfinity as a rookie this year, won a race, and is in the playoffs. Um, kind of surprising, I guess, and especially when I know Mike, I can hear him in my head. I hear him in my head a lot. But uh, being that they're, they're leaving Joe Gibbs Racing, how do you leave a championship team like Joe Gibbs Racing unless there's something else going on? And we saw it last year. Brandon Jones um, moved over and took Menard's sponsorship with him. In this case, it's going to be the Flying Pilot J with Sammy Smith. I'm happy for him. I think it's a great opportunity. I'm happy for Junior Motorsports. But it's another one I don't understand of how Toyota goes about selecting their drivers. We were reading through the ARCA stats um, on the preview for their race. Sammy Smith has been with Joe Gibbs Racing and Toyota throughout his career, and now all of a sudden that he's up and leaving. I just I don't understand that. But, like I said, I think it's a great opportunity, and I'm happy for him. I'm happy for Junior Motorsports and that number eight team as Josh Berry is moving up to the Cup Series. little concerned when it comes to Joe Gibbs Racing and, and their Xfinity program anyway, and there again of where do they go with their development program. Yeah, these things are cyclical, and I do think it ties into the – uh, what do I want to call it, the the manufacturer wars, I don't know. Uh, but there is competition between the manufacturers. And you've got Toyota coming in uh, to replace Chevy over at Legacy Motorsports. You've got uh, Junior Motorsports picking up a couple of JDR drivers uh, to come to Chevrolet. 
and and that's what's going on here, I think. Um, and I got to wonder, and I've thought about this. I'm sure there's some kind of plan in place. We're just not privy to it. But Joe Gibbs Racing has gone through some major changes over the last several years as well. They lost uh, J.D. Gibbs. Now they lost Coy Gibbs. Um, and that, that was the succession plan for JGR. And and I'm not sure I know what the succession plan is. I don't know that I need to know what that is. But it does make you kind of wonder um, where JGR is going uh, with their succession and into the future. You know, another rumor uh, from and – and this actually isn't a rumor, but – Ford lost several executives that went over to uh, Chevrolet. And I see Chevrolet really attempting to build here. And I, 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 I really think that that's as a result of what happened with those Ford executives moving over to Chevrolet. Uh, it caused Ford to kind of dip a little bit. Uh, they're trying to rebuild now. Uh, Toyota is dipping right now. They're trying to rebuild with new organizations. Um, and I think a lot of that is a ripple effect, if you will, of that big move with those Ford executives. So uh, we'll see where it takes us. But I'm happy for Sammy. Uh, I think he'll do really well at Junior Motorsports. And uh, he is a, a good driver. Uh, he's still young. And I, I think, you know, who – I think Junior, Junior, Dale Jr. is a good mentor for some of these up-and-coming drivers. And uh, we've seen him take somebody like Noah Gregson, who is really raw around the edges in some cases. And I know a lot of fans like that. But uh, uh, Junior was able to temper him a little bit. So I do think that uh, this is a good move for Sammy, but I think we're seeing some manufacturers' war wars going on here. Brian, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I think we've always seen Toyota's obviously has such a big, deep development program, I feel like, right? Like the most drivers, probably mm-hmm. from the outside, at least the most money poured in. I've seen some insight into kind of how that whole program works, some with their drivers at the ARCA level, you know, four or five years ago. Um, we've seen a lot of them, you know, that were Toyota development drivers that have gone to other manufacturers now over the years, right? William Byer and Eric Jones, those are all Toyota guys in KBM trucks and now are driving for, well, I guess Eric Jones is coming back full circle to Toyota next year with legacies change, but, you know, that both were over to Chevrolet and now essentially Chevrolet's Get into it, guys. So you're, you're right. It is very cyclical. Uh, Jay made a great point there. I wasn't even thinking about the pilot Jay, um, the pilot um, sponsorship tie-in that does a lot of what a lot of it comes down to these days is having the right money. But Sharon, to your point, you're right. I think him driving for Dale Jr. and getting a chance to work with Justin Allgaier as a teammate, I think is you know great mm-hmm. as well as you know the younger guys and um, um, Sam Mayer over there at Junior Motorsports. So I think great environment. I think when you look at Xfinity teams, they've got to be you know one of the better or maybe arguably the best um, organization to be with from a development standpoint. Um, obviously, Joe Gibbs is no soft there either. So on both those teams, I think, are kind of your two top teams. And you look at, you know, the Xfinity series and the chance to develop and move up. Um, so, yeah, excited to see um, where Sammy Smith will um, will go next year uh, or where his career will go um, starting next year when he's 
you know, settled in at, at JRM for uh, ideally probably the next couple of seasons. Okay. Um, Jay, do you have a follow-up? No, I, like I said, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I think Junior Motorsports is in a good position. Obviously, the uh, signing, they got Sam Mayer, Justin Algar staying and, and returning. Uh, not that there was any question about that in my mind, but Sam Mayer, Brandon Jones, both re-signing. Now adding Sammy Smith, they're in a good position. Uh, like I said, Joe Gibbs race especially when it comes to the Xfinity, and I know we've seen some changes, as you mentioned, Sharon, there of where their program is at. Hopefully we don't see them, as we saw with some of the others in the truck series that have come out of the Xfinity altogether, but we may not see them have multi-full-time rides like we have in the past. We'll just have to wait and see how it plays out. Yeah, and and I think another factor to take into consideration here is the Kyle Busch effect, if you will. Uh, One of the sticking points with Kyle Busch staying at Joe Gibbs Racing was KBM. And uh, now that KBM is, uh, has been sold to Spire, it takes them out of that whole – well, that, Kyle Busch took it to Chevy anyway. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so Kyle Busch is a big part of that manufacturer war uh, situation that I was talking about earlier. And um, he's got ripple effects. Uh, and KBM is going to have those ripple effects as well uh, as they they make this transition. But now they've kind of got a double whammy. Uh, now they're changing to a completely different team. So, but uh, uh, keeping it on Sammy Smith, I do think that uh, Sammy Smith had made a good deal here uh, to be in Chevrolet and uh, to be a part of that organization. And uh, we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, that's all I've got. Brian, you got anything more? No, I think that's a good wrap on that one. Okay. Uh, where are we at for time? We might have time for one quick one, Jay. You got a quick one for us? Well, let's see. I know we had a couple of them. For me, uh, this one actually, for me, was a, I like this one, so I'll, pu- I'll pull it up. Daniel Dye, one of the GMS drivers we talked about that we didn't know what was going to do next year as they shut down, going to join McAnally-Hilgerman Racing in 2024. All right. Uh, Brian, your thoughts? Yeah, I think a good landing spot for him. Christian Eckes has been successful over there. The one thing I didn't see, and I didn't get a chance to, to read the release or anything, are they going to go to three trucks next year or one of those, um, Jaker? Um, Christian not going to be back with the team. That I'm not sure on, but I think um, obviously um, you want to see all those drivers be able to land somewhere um, when the team shuts down like that, as well as all the team personnel. So I think a good move for, for Daniel to have that locked out. Um, he's with um, Chevy to manufacture the same as well. And, uh, you know, I think uh, it'll be interesting to, to kind of see where he goes. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of excited. Uh, one of the new teams in the truck series has been uh, McAnally uh, Hilderman Racing. And we know Bill McAnally, that, Bill McAnally was huge in the ARCA West. And the develop and and for many many years with many championship teams in the uh, Canon Pro Series and now the Arkham Menard Series uh, in the West. So I was happy to see him come into the 
uh, truck series and start building there. Uh, he's a businessman. He knows what he's doing. Uh, and I'm happy to see uh, Daniel Guy uh, to be racing with that Hil- McAnally Hilgeman racing for next season. Uh, it'll be good to see uh, his career continue to develop in the truck series, and uh, I'm excited for it. So uh, I don't know all the details either. I was just trying to see if I could find anything on that. I'll continue to look while Jay has his comments. Well, that's good. My my comments would have been the same. I don't know yet if that was then a replacement to Jack Garcia or if it was the addition of the third team. I know the number 43 is coming with him um, as he brings that over from GMS yeah. Racing and stays paired up with that. But as far as a three-truck team, not sure. And as Sharon's looking for that, this is one of those of we've seen the struggles, unfortunately. McAnally uh, came up from the West Series. We talked about them in the Arkham Menards West Series and came to the truck series, single-truck team. I believe it started with Derek Krause. That just never panned out to the full potential. And I think we're seeing it, uh, the fruit develop now with Christian Eckes obviously being in the championship hunt and them building uh, again. So I, I'm excited about that. And, again, this goes to the truck series surviving. I think we'll see that, um, whether it be these two uh, only full-time. I don't know yet about Jake Garcia and, and a third team, but at least shown that progression they've shown, they be, can be a championship contending team and build upon that uh, with multiple trucks. So I like to see that, and I like Daniel Dye. Uh, again, uh, had a little bit of a rough rookie season. That's bound to happen. I know he was a championship contender when it came to the Arkham Menard Series uh, last year. So to see him develop and continue to get that opportunity and not be a one-and-done and disappear uh, makes me feel good. Okay, Brian, your follow-up? Uh, no, I think I'm good on that one. I think, you know, exciting. Like you, you mentioned, I think, obviously, Bill McAnally, huge, huge name out in the Canon West, racing out West. I think great to see that team kind of continue to build um, and grow, and to Jay's point as well. Some good news there for the truck series. I know we gave a lot of negative news kind of with the team shutting down earlier in the show, but I think there are definitely some positives and some newer teams popping up that have, that have had some success. You know, I guess they've had a great season so far. So I think uh, excited to see where they go. Yeah, the only thing I can find is additional partners, crew chief details, and number confirmation for DICE 24 effort uh, will be made at a later date. So um, I guess we can just wait for more news there with regard to uh, uh, McAnally Hilgerman Racing. Um, So I don't have much more to add there. Jay, how about you? Not as far as the topic itself, uh, but, Brian, man, you're making us feel old. Uh, I don't think Sharon and I have made that mistake in a while. Called it the K&N series. <laughs> Been pretty good about that. So you're, infe- you're infecting uh, us. I, I miss those days. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, but you brought up some good points there. Someday maybe we can talk about that, uh, what's happening in the Arkham and Art series, uh, that while there's some good things happening, there's some there's some um, uh, potentially not so good things happening as well. So we'll save that for a later date. But uh, I'm, I'm excited for Daniel Dye. 
and uh, and for McAnally Hilgerman Racing. Um, okay, let's uh, go ahead and uh, do our roundtable here to sign off, and uh, we'll start with you, Jay. All right, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram, and it's been a while since I've had an off weekend, so I may just sit at home, but uh, as I mentioned earlier, there is some dirt track racing going on over at Talladega. It's NASCAR weekend there. It's only a couple hours away, so you never know. I may end up venturing over there, but if not, enjoy the race weekend no matter how you intake it, whether it be flow racing or dirt vision, live at the track in person, go out and enjoy it. Absolutely. Brian? Oh uh, yeah, B Eberly eighteen on Twitter, best place to follow. Um, this weekend, my focus is going to be a little bit more on baseball than racing. Uh, the Cubs are up here in Milwaukee <laughs> for the final uh, game of the uh, series of the season, with the potential to make the playoffs. So, uh, going to the game on Saturday, maybe again on Sunday, um, depending on if that game means anything. At that point, I'm definitely excited to watch Talladega. Always fun, always exciting. Um, no shortage of racing still going on on the IRA Sprint Car Series of racing. Their final race, the Plymouth Third Track, which is uh, really near Road America. And then just final closing thought, you got to feel that NASCAR executives are probably down there in Daytona Beach scratching their heads on how they're going to try to get Taylor Swift to a NASCAR race after what it's done for the <laughs> NFL numbers. This is just insane. I can't believe that that has become such a huge story, bigger than the Dolphins dropping 70 points. So if they can find a way for her to – the data driver or somehow get her to a NASCAR race. I think that's all they really need to do for ratings. So closing thoughts and uh, thanks for another show. I look forward to, uh, to being on again next week. All right. Great. Uh, go Cubbies. Are they going to win the wild card, Brian? Uh, not, the, not the way they've looked the last couple of nights, Sharon. Those have been some brutal, brutal I know. losses. Uh, really tough to watch. Um, thankfully I fell asleep early for the long, so I didn't, have to be subjected to it until the next morning. Um, but, yeah, tough. But I do think they got a chance against the Brewers, especially since they've already clinched. Hopefully the Brewers are really not caring about those games. Their focus is move to the playoffs, and the Cubs can do what they need to, to get in. And then once you're in, I think uh, anything can happen. So we'll see. I'll remain hopeful, but that's what Cubs fans and Chicago sports fans do. And they're making me happier than the Bears still. So we got that going for us. Well, I've got a brother that's been a lifelong Cardinals fan, believe it or not. And um, he says he's cheering for the Cubs now. <laughs> so, got to support well, those good. Illinois teams. Yeah, I mean, I guess you do kind of stick with kind of the, the teams in your division as well. Um, when they're not going good, like I said, when the, the Cubs are out of it, now that I'm closer to Milwaukee than Chicago, I'll probably pull for the Brewers um, if that happens. But the good news is the there Bears are already out of it, so you don't have to worry about them the rest of the season. And yeah, really looking we won't to even talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I am Bamford Racing site on Twitter and Bamford Racing blog and radio uh, on Facebook, as well as our website uh, at BamfordRacing.com. And uh, I am definitely looking forward to the races out at Talladega Super Speedway. Always a wild card event, uh, whether it's the regular season, uh, but I think it's especially so for the playoff season. And uh, I can't wait to see what happens and, and who wins and advances and and who finds themselves on that cusp uh, on the outside looking in uh, for that final race at Charlotte uh, on the Roval. 
So uh, the playoffs uh, to me are very exciting. And uh, I'll tell you, putting Talladega on the schedule really shakes things up. So we'll see what happens uh, this weekend for both the truck series as well as the cup series. And uh, then we'll watch everybody race at Charlotte Motor Speedway's uh, Roval next week. Uh, Jay and I uh, will be back next Thursday to preview those races. And then uh, Sal and I will be back on Monday night to review the races that take place this weekend, not just in the NASCAR uh, Truck and Cup Series, but also for the Arca Menard Series and the Arca West Series races uh, that are also racing this weekend on Saturday uh, with uh, Arca at Salem Speedway and then um, the Arca West racing at All-American Speedway in Roseville, California, uh, this weekend as well. So, um, a lot of good racing to look forward to, and uh, I hope everybody enjoys it. Uh, I hope uh, our listeners uh, that tune in, I want to say thank you to all of you. We appreciate you listening to our podcast, as well as our live broadcast on Monday nights. And uh, I will say, we've been getting an uptick over at uh, Apple Podcast. So uh, thank you to all of our Apple Podcast listeners. Uh, I really appreciate that. And uh, I want to say a thank you also to both Jay Huseman, our co-host for today, and Brian Everly coming on for Hot Topic Sound Off. I appreciate what both of you uh, bring to the show as well as uh, different things that you do for the website as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, with that, I guess we're ready to call it a wrap, guys. Awesome. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the weekend. Okay, enjoy your weekend of racing. We'll see you on the other side.